the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Hello, hello. This sounds bizarre. Hello, hello. <laughs> there we go. I was All like, right. am I in a tunnel, I'm Jim? Am I on? Can you hear me? I cannot. Okay. I cannot hear you. Well, there, there we, we are. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, such a deep subject for a shallow mind, as I've heard them say before. You got the buttons right this time. All right. Good morning. Okay, here we go. Good First of all, morning, gardeners, hey, and good welcome morning. to Mid-South Gardening. Good morning, mate, Veda and Jim. I hope y'all had a great Thanksgiving. Totally. You know, very nice. Very nice. A little too much turkey. You know, and I hardly ever, ever eat turkey, but mm-hmm. I'm beginning to really think I like turkey you more do? than I did in the past. Well, it's yeah. all but... T- Depends on how it's cooked, Maybe of course. My son-in-law uh, had his the breast brining for a couple of days, yeah, and then cooked it low and slow overnight. Mm-hmm. It was the most tender turkey I've ever had. So t- good, juicy, tender turkey good. is is good turkey. Yeah, <laughs> you know, fried turkey is good too. It ain't ham, but <laughs> <laughs> I know ham is the best. It is, but I mean, ham's a Christmas thing to me, and turkey's the Thanksgiving thing. No doubt. Now, what is, what is the mindset with gardeners this time of year? Boy, I mean, what is it? Well, a lot of cleanup. You know. I cut the banana trees back this week. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. You yeah. said you were, and you yeah. did it. I did it. Did you? Did, you took um, not all the way the ground. You left right. them like, what them four feet up, three to four feet. Up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and they're still on a pile in the backyard. And these are right. So of course, they are. Well, you at least got them cut. And these are the hardy bananas we're yeah, talking they, about. These are bajou. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, and, um, containers. They have bananas on. Oh, did, that's so hard mm-hmm. to cut them when they have. Did you just keep the um, rack of b- bananas inside the rack, even nah, though they it's won't? In the pile but, be thrown away. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. They're, to you know, they're, fiber bananas are just. I mean, you'd have to be really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really hungry. So you didn't do selfies holding the rack of b- bananas up, no. and I mean, because you know, I think growing bananas in the mid south is different. So really, <laughs> all we're, when you say clean up, I mean we're of course getting all the leaves and stuff. Yeah, up. Leaves are the main thing. You, you know, know and, and we're cutting banana trees back, of course, and insulating around mm-hmm. them. But, you know, we talked about this last week or a week before. As far as perennial beds go, I'm just leaving them alone. Mm-hmm. Just let them do their thing. And then in the spring, I'll go in there and clean those right. up. Right. Uh, yeah, if we can tolerate dealing with the, the way that it looks. But when you're looking at it again in the way of a wildlife would look at it, hey, wildlife <laughs> would look at yeah. it like the birds and where they can get the seed heads off the cone flower and, yeah. and things like that. Then if you kind of look at it as shelter for a wildlife and not so much as aesthetically pleasing to your eyes, you see it in a different way. And then about three weekends ago, I think I told you all this, you know, raked all the soil conditioner out of my beds because I learned the hard way that it doesn't make a good top dressing as a mulch whatsoever got all of it out of the beds and i came back and remulched the beds and of course i just used the typical shredded hardwood mulch and i'm gonna tell you the shredded hardwood mulch most definitely stays in place better after rains Mm -hmm. than soil conditioner ever thought about staying in place Uh, so i got all the beds you know they're all mulched in so you know all my azaleas and all the shrubs for example uh, you know i think they're going to be fine i mean they're insulated so they're good but you know, when it comes to the, some of the tender stuff, Jim, like the banana trees, you know, I mean, 
because I remember what happened to mine last year, and these are hardy bananas that I have also. Yeah, that's happened, last year happened to mine too. I mean, last two years it, they've been killed all the way to the ground, you know. But you just can't help that. But they're root hardy. They'll be back with a vengeance. Because we used to not be able to grow bananas at all. So I guess we, or make them come back every year. So I guess we should be happy. And then what about the elephant ears? Do we dig them up? Do we leave them alone? Do we just plant every year? What's the verdict? Yeah. I mean, because even caladiums, you know, if you don't dig your caladium bulbs up, they're typically not going to come back. they're definitely not going to, but you have a better chance of the elephant ears coming back than the caladiums. Yeah, and and I've said this before. I had some elephant ears at my old house, and they came back for probably seven or eight years. I mean, they were in the corner of a, a wall, and they were somewhat insulated, had good drainage. So it was a good spot for them, and they looked really good where they were. But all it took was one really cold, wet winter, and it just rotted that bulb completely out. But I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to take the time to go out there and dig up my elephant ear bulbs. You I know? wouldn't, ever. <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, it's not that I couldn't do it. I'm just yeah. not going to I mean, do even it. if the mother bulb gets killed, you should have sprouts come off of it. Right. And by the end of the season, they're going to be as big as mom was last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just let them go. Yeah. And just see what happens. Right. And if nothing comes up, I can always plant yeah. another one. Now, there are a few, you know, some of the... Um, the yellows and the unusual blacks that don't, aren't hardy here. If you want to dig those up and save them, that's probably a good idea. But even some of the blacks now uh, had that Hawaiian black coral, mm-hmm. and it's come back year after year for me. Okay, yeah. good, yeah. good. I'm yeah. glad to know that. We, but we've all noticed how many different colors out there now. You know, it's kind of like the hostas of the elephant ears. There's, it used to be when, when I was growing up, there was just this big green-eared elephant ear. That was yeah. it, Okay. Well, now there are so many out there that are absolutely beautiful. I mean, they really are. They're like specimen elephant ears. So uh, there's so many varieties of everything now there that's are. coming out that it's just so hard to keep up. Or even how how do you get one of each? <laughs> you just get one of each I and you know. start planting them things. And whether they're in containers or whether they're in the ground, they actually do really good. I'm telling you, they're easy to grow. If you can't grow an elephant ear, you just need to stop, right? But uh, some of these, you know, the old-fashioned green elephant ears, I mean, they're fairly inexpensive. They really are. Mm-hmm. Now, you get into some of these new hybrids that have that deep venation yeah. and, you know, those different colors. They're a little more expensive. And that's why I was asking, do we need to take the time to go out right. there and dig those up? Yeah, we have a member in the, in the Mid-South Gardening Group. I, I don't know, he's probably got 75 different varieties. Wow. Of, you know, and some of those that are, are white and green variegated, you know, and he's he digs every one of them up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, I would, I digs would these too. huge, you know, Thai giant alocasias uh-huh. and puts them in a five-gallon bucket. I mean, just enough mm-hmm. to protect that bulb, stores them in his garage, and then replants them the next year. Man, that's a good idea. Yeah. That sounds fun. Uh, and then I saw the results of how we have, the cold weather, the warm weather, the cold weather, and trees losing their leaves. When I came to work yesterday, after all that rain we had, mm-hmm. we have like a lot of crepe myrtles planted at work, and it was knee deep in leaves. So they're finally all starting to the drop leaves. them. It was. It looks like carpet. It was so pretty, but I've never seen that many leaves fall at one time after a storm, and it's because they weren't falling throughout yeah. the fall. Because they were still viable, you know, they weren't ready to drop their leaves. And 
so they still seem not crispy dry. Yeah. You know, like they usually are. They're a little more moist. But it was amazing the amount of leaves that fell. I need to look at mine because, I mean, I haven't, because I know a week ago I still had leaves all mm-hmm. over my crepe myrtles. Yeah. The uh, ones in front of my daughter's house are still totally green. They're dry. Yeah. They're frozen mm-hmm. leaves, but they didn't start shedding them. You know, the freeze got them before they ever started. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? Then the micro environments, I, I guess, too, because it was enough for me. I mean, how long? I work outside every single day. I yeah. love the leaves. I'm outside in the leaves, seeing leaves every day. Yeah. And I stop and I'm just in awe with the amount of leaves that fell off the crepe myrtle in one night. And there was like four or five and it was just a thick blanket of pretty yellow leaves. Well, you know, I, I told y'all at the beginning of the fall, I was going to, to kind of get my leaves up every week or every other week as they fall off my tree, which I've done, mm-hmm. okay? Now, of course, I haven't done it in the last week or two because I've been so busy at work, but I feel... So busy, what? Did you say eating turkey and sleeping? Yes, ma'am, but okay. I still feel better because I know I still I still have quite a few leaves coming off the tulip poplar that's in my front yard, but if I hadn't already gotten up all the leaves that I have, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd have four inches of leaves out there on my front yeah. yard, so... Right, so that'd be a little much to leave over. You know, chop them up, um, bag them, put them on the street and let people drive by like me or Jim or you and load them in our truck so I can put them in my well, compost and, pile. And I'm not blowing them or raking them this year. I am grinding them up with the lawnmower. Even I'm if they you. got, well, yours aren't real deep though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can do that. That's good. So less work, really. Yeah. And they at some point this morning, maybe when we get back from the break, I was having a lady ask me about porch pots yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to remember everything that you've said over the last 20 years. You know, all right, what's the best way to do these porch pots? So we need to kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah, I'm Uh, I'm getting motivated for porch pots. And then she asked me the question, you'll have to answer this for me, is, you know, should I use soil in my porch pots or should I use sand or should I use soil and then like four inches Mm -hmm. of sand on the top? (laughs) I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think well, any of the above would be fine. But. Yep, exactly. Well, let's go to a break. Um, you're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio. You can call us at 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning, the Saturday after Turkey Day. And that means it's time to get bulbs in the ground. Oh, yeah. There's, um, you know, if we haven't, uh, bulbs in the ground are a good thing to do now. Tons of stuff. And you've got, y'all have got all three of us to listen to for two more hours and 45 minutes. Yes, ma'am. But like you said, bulbs, uh, you know, we always wait till around Thanksgiving, typically speaking. General rule of thumb to get the bulbs in the ground. Reason being, you want the soil temperatures to be somewhat cool. Mm-hmm. You know? So if you put them out there, Jim, you know, two months ago, a month ago, as warm as it was, a lot of times those bulbs will go ahead and start to sprout and tease themselves out of the mm-hmm. ground, where it's not going to happen now. So if mm-hmm. you've got bulbs and you've been waiting to get them in the ground, now's the time to do it. <laughs> We're like, Jim, Jim, so, um, you know, if you find yourself <clears throat> in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> <laughs> I made a porch pots. Okay. Now, porch and, pots. And, and where did the word porch pot come from? Is that really the term for it? I don't it? know, actually. Because, I mean, I've heard it's you just, say it for 20 years. Yeah, that's why I say porch I'm pots. thinking, you know, somebody said it one time, and then that's just where they go with it. Por- Christmas porch pots, fall porch pots. And so, all we're talking about is getting a container mm-hmm. with soil. And maybe, do you put four or five inches of sand on the top for stability? Well, actually, what I do is if I've had a. M- most of the time I've had like a container 
that's had plants in it, annuals or something like that. So I just cut all the annuals out of it and leave all the roots, leave everything in there. Mm -hmm. And then that gives you the stability that's needed when you're poking the sticks and things like that down into the uh, root ball. But then you have to be selective because sometimes the root balls are so tight in there that you can't get the stems down in there. But what if you were starting from scratch and you it, had just a pot? Soil, sand. Okay, yeah. so because I told the lady yesterday, I really think if you you know had a pot and you put potting soil in there mm-hmm. and then you put a layer of sand on top of the soil. Yeah, that would work and, fine. And, and when we say porch pot, we're talking about going out there and cutting evergreens mm-hmm. and just sticking those things or, or deciduous you know, yeah. uh, deciduous hollies, hollies and, or whatever. Yeah. Anything's got berries on it, evergreens, magnolias, hollies, those kind of things. Cutting the limbs and just sticking them down in the pot. Right, right. So you can use like the boughs off the bottom of a Christmas tree. You can buy greens at uh, your local independent garden centers, or you know, there's plenty of evergreen things out in your landscape or your neighbor's landscape, and um, you can use those too. I have some, I've been driving, well, of course I've been driving, but I've been scoping out places where I think I can pull over and stop and prune and some, steal. steal some berries <laughs> and, uh, you know, use uh, the correct term, yeah, steal some berries, um, actually just give the um, homeowner a free pruning job, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't just whack them off and, uh, you know, leave a funky looking tree, but no, really. So like one of the places that I can stop and go to is like a cul-de-sac and there's trees on this, uh, right in the middle of this lady's property. One, a whole bunch is on one side and a whole bunch is on the other side. And she's like, oh, just, just prune. It's yeah. all good. So you really have to be careful <laughs> where you're pruning berries. But anyway, so the berries off any holly tree are, mm-hmm. are gorgeous and that's remember last week we were talking about the uh, possum halls mm-hmm. you know this is one reason why you want to plant some in your yard so you don't have to strategically sneak around in people's yards and pull and now, prune buried trees off do you do a combination of just fresh material or do you put artificial stuff in Gosh, there also you know, at first but, like it's amazing how all the styles change because at first you were using all the the live stuff and then putting mm-hmm. fake poinsettias in yeah. there and and fake this fake that and a big fat bow on it yeah and then we've kind of evolved a little more into the wilder look mm-hmm. just trying to use as much natural as possible well because this lady and the reason i'm asking the question they were gonna they had the pots okay and they were gonna put this <clears throat> excuse me like a round let's just say a gazing ball mm-hmm. for example and i don't think it was the gazing ball but it was something yeah. similar to that and the question was should they lay the greenery down like a blanket and mm-hmm. set this ball on top of it? Or should they put the ball in there and have greenery just kind of poking up around the sides? And I'm like, Either well, it sounds like that's the yeah. question for a decorator. Yeah. I'm yeah. thinking, well, that's something you'd have to see. You and know, that's, what, you know, that's what I told him. I said, look, just try it both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, put a blanket of of that fresh greenery down and, and set it up there and see how that looks. I'm sure it's going to look good. You can have some stuff kind of coming yeah. out the sides and kind of drooping over the pot. Right, right. But it kind of blew my mind. I was like, where's Veda when I need yeah. her? You know? I know. I'm thinking all kinds of different ways we can do this. Or you can buy a wreath, put the wreath on top of the pot, mm-hmm. and put the ball right in the middle. Uh, and that's an easy, that's an easy, quick... Um, yeah, sort of get look, the hole there. Yeah. Otherwise, I would put the ball in the middle because I would want some stuff to hang over. I'd want it to look more free flowing. 
opposed to a wreath that's more conformed, I, I guess. And I'm talking about a uh, Christmas wreath. So then I would put the ball in the middle and then poke stuff around underneath it, under the base, so it could. And you just over. and you water every now and then just to keep the container moist. And yeah. you said you've planted some, or Jim, either you or Veda, y'all mm-hmm. told me y'all done some where it lasted into like February yeah. or March. Right, it's just should, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, magnolia and things like that. As long as it's in the cool and not in the sunlight, where yeah. it'll, it'll and it's burn. staying fairly moist down right. there. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. well, now there have been some warm <clears throat> winters, of course, and like some warm December's where you almost needed to water those as much as you watered your other containers because everything dried out so fast. But you can definitely tell a difference between the ones that you didn't keep moist and the the ones that you did. And what about wilt-proof? I mean, there is a product out there Mm -hmm. called wilt-proof or cloud cover, any of those type products where you can spray it on the foliage of these type of plants. And it just holds the moisture in. So yeah, I mean, I just use all, no, regular all seasons oil or, or dormant oil for the same reason. Yeah, though. works the same way. So I mean, so that really would help preserve yeah. these cuttings that you're putting in that container. Though. Makes them shine too. Really, mm, I like that. Yeah, and so it's a, holding the moisture in, yeah. not allowing it to trans. Yeah, yeah to, to escape exactly. Right. So it so it, it it prolongs the the life. I mean, a lot of people use wilt proof on. Their garlands, mm-hmm. their wreaths uh, that they have outside, especially if they're going to be in the sun. Um, so it, it just, it, y'all, I'm telling you, the stuff, it makes the, the stuff last longer, I'm telling you. It uh, does. And not sitting out in full baking sun. But sometimes I have extras in the back just to replace mm-hmm. a few things. Because, you know, it is like floral arrangement, really. Because I remember, Vady, you said your mother used to do a lot of those mm-hmm. also. And in this one, these two ladies were talking to me yesterday. I'm like, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, you, there's there's no wrong way to do it. There's really not. There's really not. Because when you start, you're thinking already when you start it up, it's not looking good. And you can't try to make it look good from each stick that you put in. You just have to start. And then as you start adding and adding, you um, tighten it up. You make it look better. Yeah, it's right kind of like arranging you, flowers in a vase. Yeah, you put them, you start sticking them in there, but that's not it. You know, and then you just keep working. You can pull one out, put it in another place. But don't try to start with it looking perfect from the very beginning. And, and then I've seen porch pots. I suppose I'm asking between real and artificial, where a lot of people will put like Christmas balls. Yeah, that's the, cool. Around yeah. the base of these, yeah. you know, cuttings that are putting in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's things like that. So, I yeah. mean, that really kind of kicks it up a notch, I think, right. as far as a Christmas theme. Yeah, kind of got to pick your style and go with it. And just go with it. Be confident. It'll work out nicely. But it's a lot of fun because you get to um, cruise through your yard and print. I mean, you can use ferns. Like that, um, you can use. Hold the, on. When you say you can use ferns, what like do you mean? The autumn, autumn ferns? Yeah. Just yeah. You mean. So a clipping, yeah. uh, not not putting the fern in right. there, root and all. Yeah, clipping, you can clip your ferns. How about your uh, blue Pacific junipers? Mm-hmm. You can take some of their arms and stick them down in there. Uh, Cryptomerias. Arbovitas. Jim mentioned magnolias while ago. Yeah. I mean, we used to sell a world of like two gallon dwarf Alberta spruces. So you could just drop the pot in there and then decorate around the top of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So it's 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 something fairly easy to do mm-hmm. then. So. Right. I uh, decided I was going to put an evergreen in a pot and do Christmas lights around it this year, and so I got my one gallon Blue Point juniper, and, and I'm just like a customer. 
I get that one gallon blue point juniper and I know it's going to fit perfect in the pot. And I get home, the pot's much huger than the little one gallon juniper. And it's just like customers do. They come in and they're like, I don't know what size my pot is. And is this going to fit or not? And I was like, well, it is kind of small, but I'll just add some more stuff around the base and it's fine. And then I found a uh, small strand of lights. You know, they've got like six bulbs on yeah. it and put that around it. And so now I have an, a living outdoor Christmas tree that later I can plant on the property. Well, and, and what I'm, another thing that made me think of this, I made a delivery the other afternoon of some garland after work. And the lady had two containers on either side of her front door, of course, and there was absolutely nothing in them. Mm-hmm. But she didn't really want, and she's going to put garland around the door. I mean, it's going to look great. But she didn't want to invest in a, you know, two shrubs, whether it's boxwoods, Alberta spruces, or whatever, to go in these because normally she puts annual color in there. So she's like, well, so what can I do? And I said, you know, go yeah, make, get some cuttings idea. and put them in there. Yeah, perfect idea. You know, so just and just yank them up when you're done with mm-hmm. them. So Go yeah. to Jim's house and get some of those red twig dogwoods. There you go. <laughs> so I'm, I'm starting to uh, believe in these porch pots um, a little bit more day it's by just, day. But, you know, you can do a hanging basket like that. You can do the uh, hay racks or the troughs that you can hang on the wall. I filled it. We filled it with soil and then just started taking cuttings and pushing them all down in there. You could even get the battery-operated lights and run those into the basket as well. So you can really get a... a a long-lasting Christmas decoration. Start and just getting yeah. creative as you want. Right. And then when Christmas is over, just pull all the reds out, except for the red berries. And then you've got all the greenery that lasts through January. I've had, yeah, like you said, I've had mine last up to about the first week in February. And when it starts getting close to Valentine's Day, I'm, I'm really, you know, got to be over Hey, I'm all, all about it. If it just makes it through Christmas, just get me through <laughs> the season and then I'm fine. I'm good to go, you know? Yeah. Well, let's um, go to a break. We want y'all to give us a call at 260-5926. We'll be right back. Morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad y'all could be with us today. You can watch us on Facebook Live, and you can post uh, questions on Facebook Live also, or call us two six zero five nine two six if you don't want to be on air. Just leave your uh, question with Philip, and he'll put it out there for us, and we'll take care of it. Yeah, we had Jen Farmer, wonderful dirt buddy. She texted in and said, uh, "Good morning, dirt buddies. Hope y'all had a great Turkey Day." And back at you, Jen. You and Jamie both. Um, so yeah, my, the Mighty 990 Facebook page, that's where you can sure to shoot in the text. And like Veda said, give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. And if you miss all of that, you mm-hmm. can always go back to my Mighty 990, com and listen to the podcast anytime you want. Yeah. Hey, do y'all know a bumblebee's faster than a John Deere tractor? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go yes. I would I would think so. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I know a hornet is because I had some catch me. You know, Did as you? I was running across my backyard, <laughs> and I was running, let me tell you, as fast as I could, and they still got me, okay? They'll still catch you. Exactly. They're so fast. This right. is, um, uh, 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 I was reading, what was it, Wisdom? Old Hillbilly Wisdom. <laughs> Life's simpler when you plow around the stump. 
I have to agree with yeah, that. I know. You're like, uh, don't judge folks by their relatives. <laughs> <laughs> and we all do it. Right. We all do it. Um, good judgment comes from experience. Mm-hmm, and okay. most of that comes from bad judgment. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hey, oh, y'all, Lord. watch this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no uh, ever a good ending when you hear that, Jim. No, yeah. no. All right. What about Christmas tree care? You know, if you go to the garden center and get your tree today, uh, typically what they're going to do is, I mean, you'll pick out the tree, the perfect tree, of course. They'll put a fresh cut on it. And that is really, really, really important because you have to get that calloused end off of that tree to, for it to really take up water like it should. So they go put a fresh cut on it or insist they put a fresh cut on it. And then you want to try your best to get that thing in water as fast as you can. And that doesn't mean that they put a fresh cut on it and six hours later you put it in water. Because six hours later that thing is calloused back over. You want to try to get it in water really within two hours, if, if not sooner. Okay? But that doesn't mean strap it to the top of your car and drive 75 miles an hour down the interstate. Oh, Jim, I see it all the time. That's, what do you mean it doesn't mean that? That's funny you say that because I was just thinking, would that be an issue? Just suck the moisture right <laughs> out of it. I mean, just, jeez. <laughs> Now, now you, we want yeah, you can take the side roads and go twenty. That's okay, right. or you can get on the interstate roads. and go seventy. Now, you know, one arm's gonna be the right way to do it. One arm's not the right way to do it. Oh man, which way would I do it? I'm one of those that used to just go for it, and hope for the best. Yeah, it just and depends most on how much of the time that works out. But what was that? My pen. Oh, <laughs> most of the time that works out, but um, when it doesn't work out, it's not good. So we're saying. Don't put it on the top of your car and go down the interstate at 70 right. or yeah. 65 yeah. or 55. Take your time. Well, Take your time. Nobody drives that slow on the interstate. Yeah, that's right. That's you so know. true. But a fresh cut. I'll be 70 miles an hour in the slow lane, you know, yeah. and particularly between the flyover and poplar. Yes. And they're doing 90 down yeah. there, you know. Yeah. And some of them have Christmas trees. <laughs> right. <talking>. Yeah. <laughs> Barely hanging on. So a, a good fresh cut, guys. Get it in water just as, as fast as you can. But also... Remember, when you take this tree in the house, that first week, it, it, that's when it's going to take up more water than it is on any other time that you have it in there. So it's really imperative that you keep a close eye on the water level uh, every day. Uh, you know, if you have to climb up under there and pull the little skirt back and take a look inside there, you need to do it. Because that's when it really, really starts taking up that water is the first week uh, that you bring the uh, the tree inside. And then, of course, you know, try try to keep it away from the fireplace you know mm-hmm. keep it away from the the outlet you know the floor furnace that's blowing hot air out all day long right right on top how about the the vent on top of course i mean so there's just some common sense things also so the biggest thing though guys is keep that water in there uh and really watch it for that first week now a lot of people put sprite and aspirin and tree preservatives and all that stuff in the water fine do it i mean anything in the world that's going to give you a little extra hand but they if you read about all that stuff they the the biggest thing is is just making sure you keep that water in there and don't let it don't let it dry up because then it starts callousing again and you've just lost it all yeah uh, it won't absorb it can you right. 
take a drill. Yeah, that's, that, and that's the thing to do if you can. If if you let it go totally dry, the dog drinks it dry, right? Uh, and you know it's been dry for a while, then just get up underneath there and take a power drill and drill some holes below the water line, right? And then fill it back up, and water will flow into those holes. Yeah. yeah. So there is hope. I know you don't yeah. want to do that, but you've made a very good point. That is one thing to check for because your animals will drink the water, mm-hmm. and you're not thinking that it's absorbing the water that quickly, so you're not checking. Yeah. But and, definitely check. And then I've had people ask me, you know, is it good to use cold water? Water, you know, tap water, lukewarm water, hot water, and it doesn't matter. Just, just water. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Is just don't let that thing go dry, like Jim just said. And I'm telling you, it's amazing how much water they should drink. Oh, they'll drink a bunch that first week. I mean, I had a lady come into the garden center, and she took her tree home. She put it in the garage and let it kind of fall down the night before she took it in her house. And she said that thing drank at least a gallon of water that first day. Man, that Think makes you feel that. good, though. Yes, you're glad because it it's rehydrating. But yeah, if your tree did not drink water up the first day, then it's definitely callous. So then, you or the second day, or the third. I mean, right. in, within that first week, it should mm-hmm. take up a good bit of water. And then we know that some people keep their houses at ninety degrees. Look, it just <laughs> happens. Okay. Trees are not going to last quite as long inside mm-hmm. that house as they are in a room that's a little cooler. Trees that are right beside the fireplace, like we said, they're not going to last as long as the tree that's over there on the other side of the room by that cool window. So common sense goes a long way also. That's, that's, hey, that was one of the uh, wisdoms from a hillbilly. It all, most of the time it just boils down to common sense. <laughs> if, if there's such a thing anymore, Veda. Now, yeah. how, I know there are going to be a bunch of you out there that want to have a, a tree that you can plant after Christmas. You know, we used to, there used to be a fairly good market for bald and burlap trees, but, you know, now we see more containerized stuff. Um, but it's important that if you're going to do a one that you want to plant, it really should not be in the house more than about three days. Uh, so that means you put it up the day before Christmas and the day after Christmas you take it out uh, and get it back out in cold because... While it's in, when it's inside, it in the 75 degrees or so, it <clears throat> thinks it's springtime. Mm-hmm. The buds begin to swell, and then when you t- finally take it out, it'll look fine until the summer starts to come on, and then it'll start going backwards on you. Uh, so, you know, three days, that's about it if you want to plant the tree. My mother-in-law, God bless her soul, always wanted a white pine ball and burlap uh, for Christmas every year. And these things had these huge balls with the burlap uh, wrapped around it. And she had a, a wash basin that we would, uh, you know, galvanized tub that mm-hmm. we would put this thing in and put mulch all the way around it to stabilize it. And I was hoping and praying every year that she would just, oh, this is going to be the year that she wants just a simple cut tree. No, it never happened because now after Christmas, the son-in-law was the one that would plant the tree. Okay, and I'm raising my hand here. Mm-hmm. And well, I thought yes, this was your mom. No, this is my mother-in-law. Oh, okay. Um, and you're right, Jim. I mean, that thing, would uh, she would have it inside the house probably for about a month, oh, honestly. Wow. Because yeah. she knew it had roots on it. It was not going to dry up inside the house. The needles wasn't really dropping like it would on a cut tree. Mm-hmm. So she just enjoyed it where it was, right? And so I would take the thing out, of course, at some point after Christmas and get it in the ground. After about 10 years of doing this, I think she had one, yeah. honestly, that, that made it. Oh, that's outstanding. Because <laughs> right. because typically, right. you know, white pines, you know, they're not that hard to grow around here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can plant 10 white pines and have all 10 of them live, not a problem. But it's the point of taking it in the house and leave it in there for way too long that was the, that was the difference. Mm-hmm. 
You know, yeah. you won the way it was planted because right. I planted it, right? Right. There you go. But, but then the the other issue is they shear those, and that's not the way they grow. Once mm-hmm. you put it in the ground, it wants to go back to the way it's supposed to, mm-hmm. tiered limbs. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this weird-looking sheared thing <laughs> down at the bottom and then wider limbs at uh-huh. the top. Yeah, you're right. And uh-huh. it's, um, I have always wondered what was the practicality of buying a tree, bringing it indoors, uh, after it has been sheared to be in that Christmas tree form. So I I was wondering how it would grow out. Yeah, it's uh, j- just don't do it. You're, it's better for the environment to buy a cut tree. Those are they're they're a crop. They're right. grown yeah. for they that. You're not hauling soil across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. it, it's really better for you just to buy a cut tree if you want a live one. Well, I'm gonna tell you, it, you know, with the way freight is these days, uh, I haven't seen a ball and burlap tree in years, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And, and we used to get them in on these tractor trailers, and we'd unload, you know, a hundred of them, whether it was white pine or Fraser fir. Now the Fraser firs didn't have a chance of making them yeah. around here, but people still like the idea of having a fresh tree in the house with roots on it knowing this thing was not going to dry out that's so true well you know we've always there there was a time where people were going through well i'm buying artificial because i don't want to cut down the christmas trees but in reality i mean there's great reasons to buy artificial but that's not that wouldn't an be the issue reason. Right. because i mean like jim said it's a crop and the time that this crop is growing we're getting benefits um, in the earth from just the exchange of the oxygen and the carbon dioxide and, and adding to the wildlife. And they're always replanting like a crop. Every year they're replanting. So when you're doing an artificial, then you're still using resources to make the artificial Christmas tree mm-hmm. as well. And some little family in, in China is getting paid about 38 cents an hour. Yeah, to make <laughs> Well, the, and like you said, there's there's reasons to have artificials. There's no doubt about yeah. it. And most people... Because I have one It's the right convenience now. of it all, okay? Yeah. I do, but, too. Both, but, my, both my boys, when they were infants, got um, pneumonia from the tr- Christmas tree. Oh, and, so that's you definitely... Read my mind. Yeah. I, I grew up with the, with the, the aluminum tree and the tap uh-huh. thing that turned around and played sound at night wheel. and had a color wheel yes, on it, you know? Yes. And I swore when I had my own family, I was going to have a fresh Christmas tree. But pneumonia two years in a row, and suddenly you have a green fake tree. Jim was reading yes. my mind. And a lot of people have to get an artificial mm-hmm. tree because someone in the family is allergic to yeah. the cut tree and it happens a lot more than we think it happens yeah. all right we're going to go to another break you can give us a call 260-5926 We do want to clarify something here. Jen uh, Childers, our good friend, didn't call in and, uh, uh, or, or text us and wish us a happy turkey day. She said it was glad to see us turkey. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference. Yeah. yeah. That was, and then that makes and That's me, one of the nicer things I've been called. Yeah. yeah. Turkey. You're a turkey, turkey. Um, well, that just leads me to a point of reading slower or, or you know, sometimes... Well, not actually reading slower, but... Okay, so what I was trying to say on Facebook, this guy had posted a picture, and it was, what's wrong, or what are these white eggs in my soil? So I look, and I go, well, there's some green osmocote. There's some some tan osmocote. So uh, I text him back, osmocote, or on the Facebook thing. It's not on the uh, garden, Mid-South Garden page. And so he texts back and says, I have a greenhouse. I work in a greenhouse, and I know what Osmocote is. Yeah. And he goes, it's a beneficial fungus. And I'm like, 
no. So I go back and look again, and I see the little white balls of perlite. Yeah. And I go, no, it's perlite. And he goes, I work in a greenhouse. I know what, what? this is. And so then I text him back, and I said, "Well, first of all, you're just looking at a picture, right? Which looking is at a picture." And I go, thing. "Are we talking about the same thing?" I mean, he was just all over yeah. me. I said, "Are we talking about the same thing?" So he enlarged it and sent a different picture, and it is beneficial uh, fungi, fungi, but it's not little white balls. So yeah. sometimes when you're posting things and asking questions, you you know maybe make sure it's more clear because if he had just went with my answer. I wouldn't have really been answering his question, but he said little white balls. And when you look at the picture, I see white balls of osmocote and perlite. Yeah. But I don't see any white balls of fungus. And so after he enlarges it, send it, send it again. Yeah. So sometimes they're not misidentifying, they're just misunderstanding. Well, but also, I mean, you know, every day forever for the rest of our lives, you know, people, instead of bringing a sample of what's wrong in their yard, they bring a a picture of the mm-hmm. problem uh, that's in their yard. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you can tell by looking at the picture what the problem is, but it's nothing like looking at the real thing. Of course, everybody's got a camera on their mm-hmm. phones these days, and it's just an easy way to do it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of things can be diagnosed by looking at a picture, but not always. Beta. <laughs> like well, you said, if I see a little white ball down there, you know, osmocote uh-huh. is a, it looks like a brown BB when it mm-hmm. first comes out of the container. Five months down the road, it looks like a little white, little clear eggshell. Yeah. You know, it doesn't look like anything that when it came out of the mm-hmm. container. So you're exactly right. So anyway, there's, um, but that's why a lot of times we say, can you, even though you take a picture of the foliage, sometimes I still need to see the whole tree. Yeah. I mean, at, at the garden center, and we're trying to help people with their problems. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, the, the best way to help someone is to have the right diagnosis. Well, to have that, you really have to see a good, clear picture of what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand why people take pictures of problems and bring them by. And like I said, you know, 98% of the time we can tell by looking at a picture. But that doesn't mean every time you can tell by looking at the picture. No, but it's better than the way it used to be before we had cell phones and they come in and say, I got this stuff <laughs> yeah. going on my ground here. Uh-huh. And then the, then the descriptions. Yeah. I remember the first the first description I heard was it looks like a dog threw up in my mulch. And I go, well, maybe it did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dog vomit slime mold. And then yep. yeah, and then they would have to bring that sample. Got lots of bags of dog vomit slime mold <laughs> coming in too. So <clears throat> that's the. It is just amazing how you can um, use our phones nowadays. Well, but also, I like a lot of times what the input is from neighbors. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because you you know your neighbor beside you knows everything there is to know about your landscape. For example, I had a young lady come into the garden center just the other day with a picture on her phone, okay? And she said, my azaleas are dying. I don't know what Mm -hmm. to do. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, so kind of going over the different scenarios why azaleas would die, whether they're getting, you know, way too much water, not enough water, inadequate drainage. You know, those are usually the things root-related that would kill an azalea. She said, well, I've got a picture. And uh, so she showed me the picture, and it was nothing but some yellow leaves on it. Some natural shedding is all it was. Well, the reason she thought her azaleas was dying is because her neighbor told her mm-hmm. her neighbor uh, her azaleas were dying. <laughs> ah, gotcha. And I was like, ma'am, there's absolutely nothing wrong with these azaleas. Evergreens, all evergreens, 
naturally shed. They don't drop every leaf or every needle like the deciduous plants Mm -hmm. do, but they're going to drop leaves this time of year. In some years, we see more yellow leaves on evergreens than we do other years. But it was, she said, well, what about, she said, maybe something about some iron. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's not going (laughs) to hurt for you to put some iron, like milorganite, which is a good fertilizer, and it has iron in it around these azaleas. Not a problem. In fact, I would recommend that you do it. But just because there again, you're seeing yellow leaves, doesn't mean it's a lack of iron. Usually, you know, the leaf is yellow, but the veins are still green. So, y'all, she felt so good when she left the store because, honestly, when she came in, she thought every one of her azaleas was dying because of what her neighbor told her. I wonder what she said to her neighbor when she went back. It probably said they're not dying, okay? (laughs) They're going to be just fine. Like I saw this thing where the, the... the neighbor put a, a note on the other neighbor's door. It says, please do something about the dandelions in your yard. <laughs> so she put a sign <clears throat> in the front yard and said, free dandelions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But, but That's just crazy to ask somebody to do something about their dandelions. So she put the out their free dandelions. I love it. But keep in mind, guys, I mean, like we said, evergreens, uh, you know, they, the, the, the plants that, keep, that hold their leaves year round. Uh, it's not uncommon, especially on azaleas and things like that, to see those yellow leaves out there. And we have dry spills like we've had this year. It, you usually it's more prevalent. It happens quicker, more leaves than it does normally. It's a natural process. A few leaves drop here and That's there, right. and you don't really pay attention to it. But it's happened every year since you've had them, and yeah. uh, particularly the whites and pinks are really bad okay. about it. Um, so yeah, you're. Nothing. It's just uh, Mother Nature doing her thing. Yeah. So, I mean, so it doesn't mean that your azaleas are dying is my point. Uh, now, you know, things like... Now, the flip side of that is we have seen a lot of dead tissue on shrubs this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, remember last winter, it was wet from November to March. I mean, it was just wet, wet, rained every day. And then we had about two or three weeks of decent weather this spring. And then it turned into, you know, a blazing mm-hmm. furnace overnight and didn't rain for two right. months. I see, I see a lot of evergreens, the, the needled evergreens with uh, brown inside, exactly. turning yellow inside, because they just got a little too dry right in that period of, of transitioning from summer to fall. And you're instinctively thinking the weather's cooler. I can cut back just a little bit on the watering. But then we didn't get the rain like normal. So I see where there's some yellowing in the middle of arborvitas. But most of those are still going to be just fine. Yeah, they'll be they'll be fine. And just go through and brush them out, shake them out, yeah. now, <laughs> shake it off. Yeah, the flip <laughs> side of that is I probably have seen more dead arborvitas, picking on arborvitas, this year than I have mm-hmm. in my whole life. And yeah. there, most of that, if not 99% of that, was water-related. Uh, had a lot of people come in and tell me that they were relying on irrigation to get everything watered. Of course, it wasn't enough. Uh, had some people even tell me that they thought the irrigation was working, and it mm-hmm. wasn't working at all in, in one or two of these zones. They died, of course. So uh, keep that in mind, Yay, guys. Yay, with the rain we've had, we may be over such stressful watering mm-hmm. times. So y'all get your coffee and tea and come back to listen to us. Call us 260-5926. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. 
Good morning, gardeners. I'm Beta with Palladio Gardens in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, the other guy. The administrator of the Facebook page that's so fantastic. Called yes, Mid-South Gardening. I, I love, I'm, I'm going to start posting on there more. You would think with all the things that, that I see and do every day that I would share that more. And, yeah. I, mm-hmm. and I do share it quite often with customers that come into Danwest Garden mm-hmm. Center. They'll ask me a question. We'll get into a conversation or they you know, have something that they want to sell. Or I don't think I'll do that, no. Jim, but... I said, look, as far as the as far as answering or, or you know asking a question and maybe sending in a picture and getting a an answer, you're not just asking one person. You're asking what eight thousand people, yeah, a little over eight thousand. Um, yeah, and it's great. And, I'm telling well, you. Well, it's also, I mean, do you have you ever discovered something in your yard or or whatever in the gardening thing? And you're like, <gasps> what is this? I want to tell somebody. Yeah. Oh, I got to tell somebody. There's nobody to tell. If I tell him, he's tired of hearing it. Yeah. You know, da da da. But like when I found the amaryllis bulb, you know, we sell them in packages, yeah. and this is in a container and it's wrapped up. You know, no light can get to it. So the amaryllis bulb. Uh, I'm opening the package and the amaryllis bulbs upside down. Of course, upside down, and it's trying to sprout. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's all white. So I pulled it out, turned it up, took a picture of it, and put it on the um, Mid South Gardening page to because I was like, "Wow, look at this!" Yeah. You know, I was so excited, and so everybody's you know thumbs up or whatever. But I'm gonna do the stages of actually how it can come out and work. And you watch, that thing will turn out to be beautiful, I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, you know, we'll even see. And Amaryllis mm-hmm. has got a curved, yeah. uh, you know, head on it. Uh-huh. I mean, it will stand straight up, yeah. and it would be just fine. Right, so that's going to be fun. Yeah. One of the things about the group, uh, I've put a lot of work into, um, into our file section, uh, where we have um, information on fruit trees. I mean, there's a complete file on plums and peaches and kiwis and all kinds of stuff like that. Apple pollinator chart. Um, We've got things like plants for wet and moist areas, uh, uh, poisonous plants. So there's lots of good information. Well, one right now that's kind of timely is uh, I have a seed list, seed supply for more of the unusual things. You know, there's some retailers, like, and particularly Dan West, carries several lines of seed and has a huge selection, more than just the little tiny thing you see in some of the... the uh, more uh, than just the little spinning yeah, rack, you mean? Yeah. Right. So, so, like, right now, they can get on the Mid-South Garden page. Right. And go, go to files. To yep. And then we have... This one is uh, seed sources. And uh, there's, oh, I don't know, 15 or so of some of the best sources um and you know and send off of their catalog also we've got uh, a good source for asian vegetables uh kitazawa seed company and also one for italian vegetables so uh, anyway it's got their websites on there for all of them so you can go and uh, take a look at what they've got you know i quite often have my laptop my desk computer my phone tablet. and my tablet yeah. all there and i'm comparing seed prices and stuff yeah. between them all uh and see so see and see what's available so uh, uh anyway there's a lot of good information there uh invite you to join if you're not it's mid-south gardening gardening in usda mm-hmm. zone six seven and eight yeah. and really that covers an area from about baltimore to dallas 200 miles wide or so we all have pretty much the same plants same problems uh and we have a good many uh members from the west coast well, we have some from England. Uh, so it's anyway, it's a lot of good information. I invite you to join. Yeah, so the seed 
um, you've got to see catalogs on there, it's like who we should do. You ha- who's some of them? All right. Well, we'll start down the list here. We've got American Meadows, which is a good one. Baker Creek Heirloom, heirloom Seeds, to me, is one of the best. Oh, they absolutely. Have, it's nothing but heirloom seeds, and they're really, really nice people. When I was at the Botanic Garden, I, I went through their catalog, and I picked out about 150 plants that we wanted to try the seed on and so i sent them a note and i said you know we are a non-profit and, you know mm-hmm. we get no funding from the city mm-hmm. so if, if you can give us a discount they sent me all the seed for free of course they did yeah i mean really really nice people so uh, but in uh, eden brothers there's evan Everwild farms gurney's harris seed uh, one that I like, horticultural products and services are really good. Johnny Selected Seed, John Sheepers Kitchen Garden Seeds, Jung's Seeds and Plants, um, then Main Street Seed, Park Seed, Seed yeah. Savers Exchanges is another mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Select Seed, Southern Exposure Seed Exchange, Territorial Seeds, Victory Seeds, and, and there's a couple of them. Yeah. You so. know, and, and that's big because now I never really do a whole lot from seed, honestly. Mm-hmm. But there are people out there, lots of people out there that do everything from seed. I mean, yeah. it's it's that's just mm-hmm. what they do, you know. Right. And particularly if you're looking for some really unusual, we had had a lady I talked to at a garden club the other day who was wanting the really deep red sunflowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Baker Creek Heirloom Seed has one of the largest selection of sunflower seeds, uh, sunflower varieties that I know of. Uh, I bought some uh, Russian. Giants from them. They uh, they have lots of cool stuff. Hmm. So well, for in retail, and these are probably because you were doing seed comparison price. It might be a little more, but I like the botanic interests, botanical interest yes. seeds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and but another reason I like them is the pictures. <laughs> is the pictures? Yeah, yeah the, the packaging's so pretty, and then when you open that, you the whole entire thing of paper that's used to hold the seeds has some worthiness to it there's stories on the inside there can be recipes you can even cut out a um plant marker to put with it and the you can even frame them. They're so pretty. And the seeds actually come up. <laughs> well, that's always a plus. Yeah, the seeds yeah, actually come seed. up. You're, so. you're, and botanical interest is the name of those. Yes. Yeah, and y'all carry those. Yeah, yeah, yeah we oh, carry yeah. those. But, you know, I might want to do some of those baker, bakers. Baker ba- Creek. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Baker Their Their packaging's beautiful, Well, but too. I also like the idea of some of the Asian seed you're talking about. Right. You know, whether it's the, the eggplant, the... You know, and the different vegetables that you can get that are Asian. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's slanted. funny because you're going Italian vegetables, a- Asian vegetables. And I started thinking, I thought vegetables were human vegetables. <laughs> I didn't know we had them divided up into this is Chinese Well, vegetables. you know, if, if you're Italian, there are certain vegetables that you're going to find available there in Italy that you might not find here. Uh, so you yeah. can get some really... Uh, unusual varieties of tomatoes and peppers and 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 things like that so that, there's more things available that as americans right you know yeah. when, when you look at the seed rack companies even like botanical interest there there's a limit no, limited number of varieties that they can yeah. carry and obviously if if it's something that only sells one package a year that's not really something they want to put in their racks right. you know yeah. it's not saying that that one pack product is a bad product right it's just for a retailer and for them it's just not economically viable to do that sort of thing whereas these companies that really specialize in unusual stuff they have a huge market because it's nationwide and uh, and you're much more likely to find uh, some interesting things there that you don't always find in 
I mean, you, I know for years it was hard to even find like Cardinal Climber. Yeah. Uh, in any seed company. Yes, yes, sir. You know, and I bought some beautiful orange flowered ones from uh, uh, from one of these seed companies. So, it just it's it's an opportunity to look through their lines and and get some ideas of some things you want to try. Yeah, yeah and, and they're great Christmas presents too. Really, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you love to get a big selection of seeds? And they're not really that hard to do. I think we mm-hmm. feel like they're hard to do because we may be impatient. You know, you're wanting just to see the plant immediately. But when you do from seeds, they seem to bloom better, bigger. Um, their roots are definitely deeper. I feel that. So growing from seeds isn't a bad thing. Just well, don't let them dry out at first. Well, like Jim was saying, you know, we're so used to seeing this huge rack of zinnias. And, the, and you know, you mentioned cardinal climber. You know, we used, we're used to seeing the one that has the red bloom. A lot of people don't even know there's one out there like I did that had an orange bloom. Yeah, yeah I know? didn't know either. But so, now I'm looking. Well, exactly. <laughs> so that's my point. So you get a chance to see some of these, uh, some, of, some of the same groups of seeds that we've always had and purchased, but in different right. colors and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty neat. So hit up the Facebook page, go to Files, and he's, you've got a great amount of information on there, and then pick out the seed one, and then you'll be able to go over what we just went over. And, and it's funny, we always say this, you know, typically garden centers will start getting their seeds in in, let's say, February, mm-hmm. right? And the seeds are on display, and it's still cold outside, but you can see people kind of trudge their way over there and just stand in front of the seed rack, and then they just start daydreaming. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're already that stuff's already in the ground. They're already, uh-huh. you know, cutting the flowers. They're already picking the the vegetables. They do. They just go into oh. a daydream, you know, gaze, if you will. Well, you know, um, I'm going to get some snapdragon seeds now and go ahead and sow them in my containers <laughs> because they'll still be fine. If they don't come up now, they'll start coming up in the spring. And what about, Jim, invaded people that have seeds already right now uh, at uh, their house? All right, and now they're going to have to hold it for a second. Because we got to probably go to a break. Yeah. We'll be right back, 260-5926. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So um, I brought with me today the um, Organic Gardening and Farming magazine from December 1968. (laughs) And actually, as we were looking through the advertisements, there was one advertisement for um, Harris Seeds. Are they still around? That's that's on our seed list. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But so like, you know, if if people were tweeting about their gardens, this is 1968 tweeting. That's what I'm calling it. So, so hold on. Instead of putting it on Facebook or anything else, they would actually wrote things right. down. They wrote things down. <laughs> and then sent them in and got that published in magazines. This reader, he said, I thought your readers would be interested in my method of composting sawdust. Um, so he got sawdust mixed with uh, horse manure to stable. Yeah. So then he dumped it into a 55-gallon drum, and he breaks it up with uh, using a water hose uh, with the pressure nozzle. Nozzle. <laughs> so he's got 55-gallon drum with the mixture of sawdust and manure, and he's using the water hose with the pressure nozzle to break it all up. And then he keeps adding a bushel at a time until the drum's filled. I'm getting exhausted now. So hold on. Now, no, but... You got to be all right. Go ahead. So I'm first, sorry. we've got the fifty-five gallon drum, and he's getting the the sawdust manure mix, dumping it in. And the he's drum. adding a little water yeah, in there, breaking up the clods and everything, okay. and then keeps adding and adding until it's full. All right. Then 
He scoops the mixture out of the bucket. Okay. Scoops it out into a 30-gallon drum. Right. Which he cut out the bottom and put an old washing machine screen over the top. Mm -hmm. Now, the drum's elevated off the ground by two chimney blocks. Two chimney blocks. Do you got some of those in your yard? Do not, but go ahead. To so, elevate but so the, the drum. drum is off the ground. I yeah. got you. And the chimney blocks are under the opening. And then he has a bucket to catch the manure water. He then transfers the sawdust to a third drum, which is top and bottomless. And for each bushel of sawdust, he adds a can of coffee grounds. <laughs> so he has a place that he gets a bushel of coffee grounds a day. So in two weeks, the third drum is not only full of the brownest sawdust and blackest coffee grounds, but more worms of the manure type than you could ever believe unless you saw it. And it says, don't believe me, two or three drums, a hose, coffee ground, sawdust mixed with horse manure, and two weeks is all. Well, is all that's necessary. Say, I'm, I'm a, exhausted after that. Let me say this. I think the most important part of that is adding compost to the sawdust to break it down. Which was the manure. It yeah. was the manure because that's where all the microbes are going to be is mm-hmm. in the manure. And the microbes are what's going to break down the sawdust. So, I mean, I'm always looking for the easy way out. Now, if I was a, a farmer back in 1968 or a mm-hmm. backyard farmer, then I might go through the process of, of changing this stuff out from drum to drum to yeah. drum, right? Yeah. But I like the idea of just piling this stuff up somewhere and let Mother Nature just do her thing. Works for me. Yeah. I know. That's what I said. I'm exhausted after all this. But 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 the <laughs> the way he did it, and Thomas, hang on just a second. We'll be right with you. The way he did it is he was trying to speed up the process. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mind compost taking six to eight months to break down and then I'm good to go, right? Well, some people want that compost three weeks yeah, later. right. And then this is where it's so wonderful now that... We can already buy it in a bag. Yes. It's already done. This guy lived in uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. So Back I've got a whole year worth of these magazines. And so every Saturday, I can read you someone's gardening tips from 1968. But let me say this, though. What he was talking about is still, in theory, exactly yeah. what we do now. Exactly. Nothing's changed. I thought yeah, it was, except I wouldn't put the coffee I was going to say, the cute thing is well, the coffee Well, you can, grounds. but that's not making really a yeah. difference, though. Right? Mm, no, and uh, hopefully he's leaching enough water through it to take out all the bad stuff. Right. It sure sounded like mm-hmm. it, by the way. He, <laughs> no, but he put the coffee grounds in after he did all that, that watering. But somehow he did get it right because he said he's got um, so many worms and all that you just wouldn't believe it unless you saw it. But didn't we, uh, and, and Thomas, hang on one more second. Didn't we? It was a myth that if you use a lot of coffee grounds around your plants, I mean, coffee has caffeine in it, mm-hmm. and caffeine can have somewhat of a detrimental effect on the plant that you're putting it around, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the nitrogen, the free nitrogen that is in it, uh, you drank. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of nitrogen left that's readily available to the plant. Uh, but caffeine, uh, uh, under coffee plants, very few things grow because the leaves that fall off of it kill most everything else but, but from you, the caffeine. But using the coffee in a compost... Get it diluted pal- down enough, it's probably not going to do any damage. Exactly. But it's really not a... the. I would go get the leaves off somebody's yard, you know, before I would use coffee ground. I yeah. love that story. So though, I guess know. that's where the whole coffee ground thing started, right here. Could be. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so then, I think 
It's wonderful that Thomas from Bartley gives us a call. So good morning, Thomas. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, Go ahead, Thomas. I have a bur oak that hangs over my driveway. Lovely tree, great shade. Uh, it's a beautiful tree. Um, but it's, this last season, it was completely covered in aphids. Um, at first, I thought it was sap, but you know how that goes. It turns out to be <laughs> something completely different. Right. Um, I've read online several things to to control the aphids. So apparently, they're going to be hard to get rid of. No, they're pretty um, easy uh, to get rid of. Really? Yeah. So I was wondering, uh, there's several options online, and it even goes down to just plain old soap and water. So I was wanting you guys' input on this, because it can really mess the car up pretty quick. Not to mention, uh, I do enjoy all the ladybugs hanging around. That's right. Yeah, I mean, one easy way to do it, Thomas, is to get the tree and shrub insect drench. It's a product that you actually just mix with water and pour it right around the trunk of the tree. Uh, I would do that, you know, starting in, say, early March. Now, the beauty of that product is that one application that you pour around the tree is going to protect that tree for the rest of the growing season, for a whole year, sometimes sometimes up to two years. Uh, now, the other angle is to go out there and, of course, spray to kill the aphids. Now, if you spray, you need to spray the whole tree. Now, depending on the size of the tree, sometimes that's feasible, sometimes it's not. So, to me, the easiest way to treat for aphids around a tree it's just to use the drench that you mix and pour. Well, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, you're going to use about one ounce per inch of trunk diameter. Or circumference. Or circumference, yeah. I mean. So, you know, if it's 30 inches around, you're going to need 30 ounces of chemical. And it doesn't really matter how much water you mix it with, two, three gallons, whatever. Uh, and you just pour it about six inches off the base of the trunk. You don't go out into the root system. You just want to go all the way around the tree. Um, I like to do it a little earlier than Kenneth does. I like to get it down in January, uh, as long as the ground's not frozen. That's right. Uh, and then it, the sap will take that up as as the sap is rising and get it up into the tree, really before the leaves even start to come out. Great. I'm looking forward to trying this. Thanks for taking my call, and always enjoy the show. Thanks, Thank Thomas. You. Thanks for the call, Thomas. Yes, I'm going to have to treat create myrtles at work, and... Say I'll say I'll do it in January, so surely I'll have it done by February. Yeah. <laughs> but but like you're saying, of which year? Yeah, there's that. <laughs> the same product that we pour around the crepe myrtle is to control the crepe myrtle bark scale. Uh, that's the same product that Thomas would use around his tree to control the aphids. And as we all know, aphids, just like the scale, give off that sticky secretion called honeydew. And anything and everything that honeydew gets on, it is a sticky mess. Like Thomas was saying, the, the vehicle's parked yeah. up under the tree. You go out there, you can wash your car, mm-hmm. honestly, park it up under that tree, go out there the next day, depending on how many aphids you have up there, and it is a gooey, sticky yeah. mess. I'm you can feel you. it raining down on you yeah. while you're washing the car. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now I think back years and years and years and years ago, of when we didn't know what that sticky mess was on our cars. It's just something that comes out of the trees. <laughs> it's, it's honeydew usually coming from the insects, but that's just one of the easiest ways to control them. Now, like I said, if it's a small ornamental tree, of course you can go out there and just spray a product that controls aphids. And most permethrins and the permethrin families are going to control aphids. I mean, yeah. most products, insecticides, have aphids on the label. But you got to mix and spray, come back about, you know, a week and spray again. You want to spray at least twice, about a week apart. Where, to me, the easy thing to do is just mix and pour. Use the drench, mm-hmm. especially on a big tree like that. 
Yeah, we don't have to worry about getting a trombone sprayer. We don't have to worry. I remember those. I remember when we would say, well, I guess you could get on a really tall ladder. And, and, and hang then you over get, but with one hand right. and one foot and try to get everything yeah. sprayed. And then right? get the tra- tra- trombone sprayer. That'll make you top heavy on the ladder also. Of course. And stretch even farther so you can coat the tree with the... I mean, but you had to do what you had to do. But now, thank goodness, we can just drench. And and so you can um, not have to hire somebody to do it. And then remember when the tree and shrub insect drench, which contains the imidacloripid, right? Mm-hmm. If I said that right. Um, <laughs> you know, early on, they were like, no, 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 no. This is a horrible product to use because it's killing every bee that's, oh, that's, that's right. out there. yeah. That was um, it, was that the cause of the one of the causes of the bee decline. That was, was you know, what the, they were saying, right? Yeah. So, but yeah. we Jim found out that there's I mean, no truth to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean that the amount because they were saying that this product got into the pollen. I'm not saying that it, none of it does. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it hasn't ever killed a bee, but I'm not going to not use it, knowing that it's not as bad as people thought it was. When I say as bad as far as killing bees as people thought it was when it first came out on the market. Yeah, well, if you use it improperly, I mean, obviously you can. And one of the cases we saw was up in, um, I think, Oregon or someplace where there were some flowering trees in bloom, had bees on them, and they sprayed the trees, and all these bees died, and everybody went nuts. But not Well, but, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that more when we come back. We'll be right back after these messages. morning gardeners welcome back to mid-south gardening glad y'all can join us yeah we've been having a lot of fun looking through our organic gardening magazine from 1968 that is cool let's see they had stuff about amaryllis for christmas yep um you know of course amaryllis have been around forever it's Mm -hmm. not like you know we're the first ones to ever do an amaryllis right right right. or just like i found out that the norwegian (laughs) seaweed um, you could buy it in 1968 too and i remember when i uh moved back to memphis and like when do we start the show? 97, something like that. And I'm like, look at this new product. Liquid seaweed. Ooh-wee. Probably been around for a thousand years. And it you has know? been. They've yep. been utilizing it. But we were going back. <laughs> we wanted to clarify real quick on the, the bees and the morticlorpid. <laughs> well, we had someone call in and wanted to know what, what could he do about aphids on a tree. And uh, I'm assuming this is a fairly large tree because, you know, as we know, aphids admit this honeydew which is that sticky secretion that gets on everything and if you don't you know take care of the problem a the aphids are not going to be healthy for the tree but also you're going to get that honeydew which grows the sooty mold and everything starts to turn black horrible nasty looking right so jim we were talking about using the imidacloripid around the tree to kill uh the aphids that cause the problem but like we say, also, we use a lot of metachloripid or the tree and shrub insect drench around our crepe myrtles because of the crepe myrtle bark scale that we have in Memphis now. But we were talking about how initially it was deemed the worst product on the face of the earth because it was killing all the, the bees. But it wasn't. And, you know, and, and there's some, there was a lot of bad science, particularly out of Yale University. A guy there uh, did an, an experiment, and he altered the experiment uh, for no reason, and <clears throat> became kind of the poster child for uh, 
getting uh, rid of the... Imidacloprid, yeah. killing bees, and yeah. later, you know, found out. Even the Xerces Society, which is, the, you know, like the, the, the bee-hugging society of the world, yeah. uh, says there's no link between uh, the decline of honeybee hives and imidacloprid. Did he, so he altered the study a little bit? Yeah, when he didn't. And if you look at his notes, what happened was when he was he had his test group and the other ones, and he was first feeding them um, imidacloprid in sugar water. Well, that's not the way it happens yeah. in nature. Right. Okay? But if you look at his notes, he was actually finding that the hives were healthier with the imidacloprid than they were. He had a better success rate with them wintering. So he changed it. He upped the dosage of imidacloprid by 40 times. No explanation for why. Yeah. Uh, and then he began to see, you know, the bees actually, they don't die. They just forget how to get home, Yeah, uh, which is an issue. And that's where you get the colony collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but anyway. But see, so that way he was using it not to label Based, I guess there was, yeah, because he was altering it, making it more than what we would recommend. Yeah, and nothing about it is natural what happens yeah. inside. What we do know about imidacloprid is it doesn't move well into the reproductive parts of plants. If you spray your roses for Japanese beetles, okay, if they eat on the leaves, they will die. Yeah. But if they eat the flowers, they won't because there's not enough chemical getting into the flower. Uh, and that's why it's approved for nut trees. It's approved for um, uh, most stone fruits, peaches, things like that, because it doesn't move into the fruit, uh, which is, you know, it's it's great for pecan phylloxera, um, many is. things. Yep. Yeah, so it's a good it's, product. Yeah. The key is getting it on the ground early so that it can be taken all the way up through the plant, uh, and it will give you at least one year, maybe two, and uh, there are reports where they're using it over in the Carolinas for um, – hemlock edelkids of getting up to three three and a half years out of a single application wow that's good that is yeah good. yeah and, and well let me and let me say this also real quick and i know we got jamie on line one is that now we're not saying when people do let's say spray uh for insects in their landscape you know i always tell people try to spray in the early morning or late in the afternoon because you do want to spray when the bees aren't active mm-hmm. you know so and, and, then, and you really shouldn't spray anything in bloom Period. Yeah. yeah. So let's make that easy right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Right. Spray on the ground for grub worms or something like that with a metacloprid. I mean, that's that's okay. You're not going to interfere with pollinators. But if you've got flowers on a plant, don't spray anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Try to stay away from that because you don't want to kill the pollinators. And we also only we say spray only as needed. Don't spray the 15th of every month because it's the 15th of every mm-hmm. month. Right. Spray as needed because you are invariably going to kill some beneficials that are out there. So you're trying to keep that whole balance, if you will. Uh, The beneficials, if you leave them alone, they'll do a good job for you. So always keep that in mind when you're out there spraying these insecticides. Well, let's go to Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. Jim and I have talked about this before, but the, the coffee grounds type thing. And I don't know what else they were doing in 1968, but we tried a little experiment up at the Davies Manor when we were trying to do organic gardening, and we we found absolutely no benefit in 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 the coffee grounds other than as a filler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah a filler, That's right. definitely. Yeah, I mean you're right. It's not that it, like Jim was saying. I mean, I don't mind using products to compost down. Uh, to you know, make to, more soil. To make more soil, yeah. right? Now, I'm not saying coffee grounds is going to be the savior of all my plants. 
But Jim was saying, my thing was, if you use coffee grounds and you use too many of them, it can actually be detrimental and not beneficial. And that's where, you know, people sometimes might have a problem. So I'm with you, Jamie. Yeah, you can definitely throw the coffee grounds in the compost pile. It's going to be absolutely fine because the compost in the composting process, it's going to break it down to a usable product. But don't expect miracles just because you're using coffee grounds in your compost, right? Yeah. But anyway, we we hauled uh, coffee grounds from three different Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And we didn't use any uh, decaf grounds or whatever. We just used regular coffee grounds. So time it goes through, time it goes through that uh, heater or whatever that makes the coffee, and uh, I think you've got rid of any benefits you may have gotten from from coffee grounds. And, and, and where were y'all doing this, Jamie? Y'all were doing this? No, no, I'm not doing it now because he's there and he wants to know where. Oh, out there at the uh, Plantation Manor, I think, yeah, in Davis. Right, Davis. Davis. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. I got you, buddy. Uh-huh. But, well. Uh, now, they may, uh, since they're still gardening the spot, they may be getting benefits from it that we don't know about. Well, later. That, well, that's true. I mean, as long as it's not going to hurt anything, I have no problem. And invariably, coffee grounds are going to be, I mean, think about it. They're going to put them somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they're going to actually, you know, at some point they're going to be turning into compost. But I was just wondering, you know, if there's any detrimental effects of using coffee grounds other than the beneficial aspects yeah. of it. Not that we found. There you go, buddy. Well, see, this Jamie, I didn't know that you were a scientist also. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't label me that. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Jamie. Thanks, thanks for Jamie. the call. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Okay. See you later. Thank now, you. And let me say this, Faith, if you don't mind, please. <laughs> and Bob, hang on just a please. second. Jamie, you know, he's a he's a master gardener, right? And I don't know if he's told, uh, he made a comment to me maybe a month ago that sometime in maybe in January, maybe February, we're going to have a guest come on. The guest is going to be the person that more or less won all of the awards this year mm-hmm. or this year at the tomato contest. And we're going to try our best to pry some of the secrets of his success, okay? All right. Now, I can just hear this guy going, well, I use uh-huh. coffee. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, so <laughs> he'll come in and use every every minute. Think how the big day to be in if you hadn't. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, let's go. Well, let's see. We'll take a break in a few and then go to uh, Bob. So, Bob, hang on, buddy. Yeah, yeah. After the break. But um, go to a break now. We can do that. All right. We're going to. Hey, y'all, let's go to a break. <laughs> we're going to go back to, and talk to Bob about poinsettias after the break. 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Um, you're listening to 990 AM News Talk and 107.9 FM. You can stream us if we're going in and out. You can watch his Facebook Live. You can listen to our podcast later. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at our Mid-South Gardening uh, Facebook page that Jim takes care of for us. So after all that, let's go to Bob. Good morning, Bob. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, uh, Bob. I was given a poinsettia last Christmas, December 2021. After all the leaves fell off of it, probably a month or so, it might have been the end of December and January, I got all the old leaves off. On the main stems, there were started 
getting brown. I clipped the brown part off. It came in a six-inch pot, and I put it in a back bathroom Mm -hmm. where it gets indirect sunlight, Mm -hmm. starting in probably March or April. Little bitty green leaves started to bud out of the old growth. Mm -hmm. That poinsettia now has got like six or seven inches of new growth on the original stems. Right. What should I be doing to it? Well, you don't want to ask me, Bob, because I'm going to be the first one to tell you that. Throw that thing right in the trash. Right? Oh. He's worked very hard. And, of course, it may depend on which variety it was when you got it. But, Jim, what what should he do now? Well, main thing to do is just keep it where it's at. You know, it, it would prefer to have full sun. Okay. And, and for it to get the color, it's probably going to need to be there. Okay. Um, just kind of nurse it through the the, the winter time, and then right. just after we get into the spring, um, take it outside. Just put it outside, or even plant it outside, and let it okay. flush again. And then, if you okay. want to try to save it, dig it up and repot it, and, yeah. and bring it back in. Now the stems where the leaves are 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 turning a little kind of a pale red oh, color. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's and, good. And uh, I've been checking it like every other day, and <clears throat> a couple of times a week, I would <clears throat> feel around on the the uh, potting soil. Yeah, and I would just keep it damp but not wet. That's, that's exactly good. right. I mean, that's that's, that's perfect as far as well, the moisture goes. Then I would say two things: since it's coloring there, you could leave it there. <laughs> Or you could take it into some brighter light to get it to color quicker. Quicker, then. right? And okay. yeah, uh, but I agree with with what Jim said. I yeah. mean, taking that thing outside in the spring, you know, uh, of course, you know the story with me and my mom and her points that she tried to carry over. But Bob, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's like any other plant. I mean, you can treat it as a house plant in the winter because it has to come inside when it's cold. It won't tolerate yeah, cold yeah. weather whatsoever. Yeah. But now, also, if you remember, Bob, back in the old days, the old varieties of poinsettias, they had to have, like, you know, 24 hours of complete darkness, and then you could bring them out and then go back into complete darkness for another 24 hours. Well, a lot of these newer hybrids, you don't have to do that to get them to turn red. Just the shortening of the days would do that. Yeah, yeah. Man, that makes sense because they're starting to color up and our days are shorter. Yeah. So you're doing something great. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, thank you all. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for the call. <laughs> but you, but you, like, And I should have told Bob that because the way I personally feel about poinsettias <laughs> is enjoy that poinsettia during the Christmas season. But, man, come no, I mean, January the 1st, <laughs> you know, that you thing's forget got, to, about it's it? got to go in the compost pile. Well, I'm, I'm getting, I always get the red one because you just have to have a red poinsettia. But then I get a pink or a white or maybe the Monet for my January, February ah, poinsettia. Gotcha. It's got that color. And I always think I'm going to try to overwinter it, but I don't. I just need more space to do something like that. When I was walking through an establishment the other day, the other night, mm-hmm. and they had quite a few poinsettias. And sure enough, there was those poinsettias that had glitter all over them. And I just stopped and looked and shook my head and just kept walking. I'm thinking, it's just not right to see poinsettias. That, you that just are, can't do it, and, can and it, it, it wasn't even a color, I think, that I'd ever seen. It was kind of an orange color with, like, mm-hmm. silver glitter on it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah. 
what what does it come to? I mean, there, that's to me that's not a poinsettia. It's just a, another um, color that you throw into your fall display. And I don't know why I feel that way about it. I should just keep walking. And, yeah, well, maybe that's it. But to some people, they might go, "Oh, I love that." Mm-hmm. You know, and not even knowing it's a poinsettia. No, maybe not. But uh, you know, the whole story. I, and I'll tell Bob if he hadn't heard it. Was the, my mother? You know, carried a poinsettia over. She took it in the backyard, like Jim recommended. It's in a container. <laughs> It's beautiful. I mean, it's a nice-looking plant. Mm-hmm. But I'm cutting the grass, and I go by, and I kind of brush the poinsettia, and about 8 million white fly flew off of this thing, okay? Because we all know that white fly, for some reason, love poinsettias that are in someone's backyard. I cut the lawnmower off. I yanked that thing out of the pot. I threw it in the trash can. And to this day, she hasn't ever said anything to me about it. Right. But I'm sure she knows what happened to it. I was like, well, Kenneth's my gardener. I'll trust him on that. And I felt good about it also. By yeah, the he's way. been cut out of the wheel, too. So. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. So uh, researchers uh, recently demonstrated that the um, stem mimicking uh, caterpillar, you know, they can change colors to a green stem or a brown stem. They're not mimicking the color by seeing it. They're mimicking the color by the feel of it in their skin. Oh, now. They say that they figured this out because they blinded, blindfolded the caterpillar. So that way, if the caterpillar can't see, how did he change colors? Because he can feel it through the skin. But I, I wonder, see, I didn't he the just, blindfold didn't, that went yeah, on this caterpillar. didn't he just peek underneath the blindfold? Of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> well, just put him in a dark room. <laughs> yeah. Let's oh see what color my changes. gosh! You know, put a little there it goes, Jim. But most most, most green stems are smooth. Most um, brown stems are woody, and they can tell from the field. So they can. Oh, thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Because I'm going. Now somebody spent thousands of dollars to figure that right, out. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but so I am sense. like thinking. Um, first off, like you said, how big's the blindfold? But then I thought, are they hybridizing? Are they growing them to not see? Did they put eye drops in their eyes oh, so they Lord. couldn't see? So it's don't, don't overthink. This. I was overthinking <laughs> it definitely, but I would believe that that you know that that could happen. But so you're saying most um brown stems Have are rough, rough, rough so the caterpillar can feel right. and go turn brown and, and then the green are softer mm-hmm. i mean but that, that that helps a lot so that way i don't have to worry about all the um, mean things they did to the caterpillars but even think about the ones that don't even change colors like let's say the tomato hornworm for example yeah. Which is a master of disguise. I mean, <laughs> you would, as big as this thing gets, you would wonder how in the heck did I ever not see that? Right, right. right. But I mean, you can have tomatoes out there that, that are getting eaten up, and you know there's a tomato hornworm somewhere on that thing, and you still can't find mm-hmm. it. You know, it's amazing. And then some of the caterpillars have the little horns that stick out, you know, on their tail, or their tail looks like the uh-huh. head. You know, it looks like they have two eyes. I mean, it's it's amazing. But I'm that's not you. their eyes. That's their tail. And, yeah. <laughs> Mother Nature's got it all figured out, I'm telling you. I don't know why she's so protective on the caterpillars anyway. 
All right, let's go back to poinsettias for a second. Okay. First thing, if you're going to buy a poinsettia, get one from a reputable place so that you know has not let it get exposed to cold. That's the single most important thing, keeping a poinsettia long term. Okay. If you've taken care of it, if it has not been exposed to, to cold, it should look just like the day you got it on Mother's Day. Right. It will, it will hang on to those bracts and it will look absolutely beautiful. If after you get it in a day or two, it starts yellowing at the bottom, then it's likely been exposed to cold, but watch your watering, okay? They need to stay moist. Not wet, but moist. Don't let them sit in water. And don't let them dry out all the way either. Right, okay? But look at the color. It should be a bright red. If it's a dark red, don't buy it because it's already been chilled somewhere in the in the process of being moved between the grower and the retailer. Um, I see a lot of people buying them in the box stores, and they are just days away from looking like stems. Now, okay. and let me say this, Jim. Also, I would I like to always use Luke warm water or tap water i don't want to use cold water mm. on my poinsettias don't put them where there's a draft don't put them underneath you the vent we were talking about you know with the christmas tree uh keep them in a bright location uh, the more sun you get it the better off it's going to be like with shears on a southern window this time of year uh is that is real good turn them once a, every week or so uh, and it should it should give you color all the way through until your annuals are ready to, to pop in the spring. And then what do you want to do with that poinsettia then? <laughs> well, I like to plant them in the ground and, and just use them as background plants gotcha. because they do have pretty foliage. And they'll get five foot tall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Know? They'll yeah. get huge. Um, so, but uh, most people, um, they, end up, as a, they end up looking like sticks. And yeah. Then oh, yeah. Y'all could also look the, – because the, the red – is the leaf not yeah. the bloom and in the middle there are is the bloom and like right the ones that we have right now they're all like tight bud mm-hmm. but you'll see them with no buds in the middle yeah. and that means they're at their end yeah they've passed their peak already and yeah. there's not one color that's more prominent i mean as far as hardy than the others that you treat them all exactly the same way whether it's the peach the white the pink mm-hmm. the red you treat them all the same way. It's not like one is better than another. Right. So during the break, I'm going to run down and water some more poinsettias here and ask me if I did it properly after the break. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us. I'm Veda with uh, Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yes, she is. And I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. And And Jim. And Jim. (laughs) I'm Jim Crowder. He does the Facebook page. And so... I was reading the Facebook page, and Jim answered a question. Yeah. I do that. And what was the question? Yes, the question and the answer. Okay, so the question was about um, transplanting or dividing irises. Irises. Mm -hmm. And um, this is so great. 
because I just have to call you Jerry Baker for a smidge. <laughs> Be careful. Just man. barely say it. Okay, the best time to move the irises in July and October. This is Jim's answer, which is true, of course. Um, it's uh, late, but it'd go ahead and move them and divide them now anyway, and they should be planted shallow mm-hmm. with half the rhizome below ground and the other half above ground, which people mm-hmm. always want to bury it. So he's right about that. And um, <laughs> so he's right about that. <laughs> Are you looking for something I'm I'm respectful? No, I'm not. It sounds like I am, doesn't it? Um, And uh, da-da-da, all that. Expose the fans. Oh, I like this one. Plant them with the growing tip facing south. Yeah. If you plant them going north, they'll turn around and go the other way. Yeah. So that's interesting. But but, but, hold on. I'm I'm trying to picture that. Yeah. So plant, plant them with the growing tip. Okay, that's the corn. I mean, the rhizome. The rhizome. Okay, yeah. so the tip of the rhizome. Because the fans come out perpendicular to the rhizome. Got it. When you plant it, you have the most of the fan exposed to southern sunlight. Mm. Okay. Yeah. But so if you planted sense. them the other way and planted them north, they'll turn and go south. So we don't need to make them use more energy trying to turn the right way. Just right. do them the right way. I mean, so either way, it's not going to make a big difference. But knowing that, go ahead and plant it like you said. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So I like that. And then, of course, you, you said the rhizomes half in the ground, half above ground. Don't bury and We're them. talking about the bearded iris. Yeah. Don't over-improve the soil. Yeah, that was a good they one. They just loosen the soil. They like clay. They'll do be real happy. Okay. Mm. Now, this was the Jerry Baker one. I was like, well, Jim, I love you more every day. <laughs> it says, if you find any mushy spots, cut out all the dust, cut it all out, and then dust it with Comet cleaning powder. Yep, Comet cleanser will help prevent that mustard rot or whatever they call it that gets in iris rhizomes. Mm-hmm. So. Never cleaning. in my yeah. life heard of that. So what is the active ingredient in Comet cleaning Who powder? Who would know? But you're right. You want to get the mushy stuff <laughs> cut out of there. I've heard of people, you know, using sulfur, and I've mm-hmm. heard of using, you know, captain, and there are other products. But uh, you, you do want to get the mushy stuff cleaned away and, and cut out of there. And you fan them. You cut them back by, if you're transplanting them, cut them back by 50% or so. That, because you have no roots, when you dig them up, there's nothing for them to hold themselves in mm-hmm. place. And the wind will blow them over. Mm-hmm. So you just fan them uh, so that they'll, they'll stay upright. So that's cutting them back. Right. But keeping about four inches, six yeah. inches of the fan. And um, also, somebody had posted or asked, I think it was on this, where... When should they cut the irises back? And you, you shouldn't cut you them shouldn't. back. What no. do you mean by you talking about cutting the foliage yeah. back? Yeah. Fanning the foliage, you know. For a long time, people thought that you ought to do that every year to establish irises. And you shouldn't. It actually removes food-producing tissue that the plant needs to produce good flowers the next mm-hmm. year. Right. So unless you're transplanting them, then we don't flag them. So, you're, so not cutting them back to 10 inches like, you know, everybody used to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just leave them alone. Yeah, you know, you can clean up any bent tips yeah. or anything oh, sure. like that, but uh, or cut out any tissue. We do tend to get some leaf spot on them or something like that occasionally. Now, but don't 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 cut them back unless you just absolutely have. And to. what about the mulching part of it? Because you know, you see a lot yeah. of times people we go out there and mulch our beds, perennial beds, annual beds, whatever. Invariably, we're putting a lot of mulch on top of that tuber. Right. Uh, yeah. What do we shouldn't. do? I wouldn't ever okay. mulch our rhizomes mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I think you're just asking for issues. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're that, increasing the chance of rot. Right, yeah. yeah. And then there's also the uh, bores, the iris bores that, yeah. that can get in. If you keep your your um, 
like all the dead stuff that falls, you know, a lot of times if you just pull that out, that takes away the environment for boars to live in. Um, also, I had actually read that our society recommended using seaweed also with the fertilization of the irises. I mean, and bearded iris, they are, there are some neat colors out mm-hmm. there, I'm telling you. And there are some people that are, I mean, I, there are gardeners that are into African violets. There are gardeners that are into bearded iris. There are gardeners that are into hostas yeah. and on down the line. But the bearded iris uh, people, uh, I mean, they're passionate about their, those bearded iris. And there are some out there that are fairly inexpensive. There are some out there that are horribly expensive. Now, at the garden centers, it's going to be just the typical, you know, beautiful colored blues, mm-hmm. yellows, and, and combinations of those. Uh, but I just love the ease of, of the, uh, the bearded iris, how easy they are to grow. And once you get them established, guys, you got them. Yeah. I like the fact that you can leave the foliage up, and it looks good. Yeah, and this year we've had typically rebloomers don't do that well in Memphis at reblooming. They do fine in the spring, but they seldom produce a second bloom in the fall. This year we've had quite a number of them. Uh, we've had uh, just the perfect conditions for, for them to rebloom here right at the end of the year. Okay, so that seems bizarre. Yeah. Was it be okay? So we had a long, dry summer, <laughs> and then I guess. And they like dry. <laughs> so that's what it was. And so we had a dry fall also. <laughs> so that helped them rebloom. Okay, I get it now. So if we were having the, the wet falls like we usually have, then we don't get that fall bloom yeah, as I, much. You, when I was growing them at, at Dan West, I always tried to buy as many rebloomers as I possibly could because if you can get that second flower late in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, and it's usually, you know, late October, 1st of November when it'll pop, they'll pop, uh, that, that, you know, why not go ahead and try for it? But yeah. the vast majority of the rebloomers don't usually rebloom here in Memphis. Right. And Jan Farmer texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and she said, what do you mean by fanning the foliage? It's just cutting the foliage back to four to six inches tall um, so that you just reduce the height of it. Right, and so it looks like a fan when you cut it back. Mm -hmm. But Jim's saying now, and everybody used to do that. In fact, I, I mean, forever it was even recommended. But now you're saying just, you know, just leave it alone. You can go in there and selectively cut out what looks bad, anything that's been over like Jim said. But other than that, leave them alone. Okay, so here's a good one. Um, so it's going to be best if we plant the corms facing uh, south. the south. Yeah, the, the tip of them facing south. But I've also seen it recommended, and I wonder why they do this. You've got three corms, and you put the tips against each other. Okay. So you've got um, three planted like, how do I explain in a, this? In a to line? Make sense? No, together. Like the three tips are all oh, I got you. touching each other. Almost like a little star. Yeah, like, like yeah. a little star. You'll end up getting a clump of flowers right there together. I mean, it will mm-hmm. make a nice show. But you're also, they're going to run into each other and they're going to, you know, you you got to divide them every That's few years. That's what I'm wondering, yeah. So... So I guess that tip was if you were wanting a big clump of blooms at one time. But then in reality, we're just creating more work for ourselves sooner. Yeah, because, you know, invariably you're going to have to dig them up and divide them, right? Well, I'm all about spacing these things far enough away, apart, whether it's ferns, hostas, bearded iris, whatever, to where even daffodils, Mm -hmm. where I'm not out there every year digging these things up, having to spread them apart. Yeah. Well, it's like you'll look in uh, magazines and... 
they're showing how to transplant or divide iris and they've got this nice perfect bed made out and then they've got a square cut out in the bed <laughs> and then they've got all the three corms pointed together placed out perfectly yeah and then they've got the soil over it i got you but then when i do it i'm like whack dig cut yeah. rock and move on yeah <laughs> so then i'm thinking Am I, are they not going to bloom? Are they not going to do good? Because I didn't do this picture perfect. You don't have to do it the gourmet way. That's what I call Martha Stewart gardening. No kidding. I'm just like, no, no. You divide your hostas on a silver platter. Yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> <You know>? Right, why? <laughs> just take a sharp knife, cut the dang things apart, and plant them. I know it. He's a sharpshooter. I don't know. Just do something. I just rip the corns and put them in there and we're done all right guys when we get back from the break a couple of things uh we're gonna bring up are one of bluebirds remember i don't know if y'all remember the horrible problems they had last winter yeah uh and then i want to get into what do y'all think they and jim about the robo mowers okay i was doing some reading about them the other night so i don't ah. i've got to talk about some trees that are supposed to be turning fall color and they they haven't yet <coughs> a tree and lots of stuff and if y'all our listeners out there want to know anything about gardening or just uh, post some comments on our facebook page or give us a call 260-5926 <laughs> Mid-South Gardening. So, if you think, if you get to thinking that you're a person of some influence, <laughs> then try ordering someone else's dog around. <laughs> ah, exactly. <laughs> you know, think about that. Um, this one, I haven't, you know, these are wisdoms from a hillbilly. <laughs> Don't be banging your shin on a stool that's not in the way. That must be a parable has to be. Yeah, don't be banging your shin on a stool that's not in the way. That's got to don't be, be banging your shin on anything anytime. Right, right. Um, oh, I like this is so true. Most of the stuff people worry about ain't never going to happen anyway. But true that, you know. It is true. I worry, worry, worry and then the outcome wasn't even what yeah. I thought. And all that worrying just for nothing. Right. Okay, if it wasn't for jumping to conclusions, you wouldn't get any exercise at right. all. Right. <laughs> 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 I love it. Oh, so okay. So, um, well, this was on your page, I think, Jim. Because I did answer. Uh, I planted this trident maple last January for its fall color, and she said I didn't know the color would be green. But trident maples do have fall color. But I believe I have heard that if you plant, or sometimes it takes a year or two. To do the fall color on a newly planted. And it's late, too. I mean, it's one of the last ones to turn. Okay. Yeah. In fact, since you're talking about fall color, we ha I have an excellent file on, on there that's f plants for fall color. And then trident maple is trident maple's good because it gets reds, yellows, and oranges. Yeah. And it's separated so that you know whether it's a tree or a shrub or a small tree, mm -hmm. uh, vine, whatever. It tells you what colors they turn. Um, got the botanical names for those that might be interested, but it's uh, it's good. It's got, I don't know, 50 plants or so that are good for fall Bam. color. Wow. It's good to have a list because it's so overwhelming. I mean, even me that can, you know, that we're familiar with the stuff, we keep this in our head and all, but when I'm doing like a landscape design or something, everything is like sugar plums all dancing mm -hmm. in my head, mm -hmm. and I can't, ah, so I'll have to get lists sometimes or make lists of things to use in the landscape. So Jim's 
files are awesome. So for her, the Trident Maple, I said it does, it will, it does turn fall color. It's just um, so many reasons it's behind right now. And yeah. even though, well, I mean, I'm looking at maples that are beautifully orange right now, and then I see some other trees that are still just as green as can be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and then, you know, there again, every year, the weather has a lot to do on how, you know, bright and colorful that pigmentation is going to be. Uh, some years, you know, if it's really dry and you don't get a lot of water or, or enough water in the fall, they're just going to turn brown and fall off. You get a little bit, but not a lot. Some years we get that beautiful fall color. But maples in general are some of the, mm-hmm. to me, some of the prettiest trees out there when mm-hmm. it comes to fall color, including the trident maple. Uh, bluebirds, y'all, I told you, the reason I'm, I'm saying bringing up bluebirds I've got a really good friend, uh, David Hill. Uh, he's a retired pilot, but he he's been birding all over the mm. world. He needs okay. to come on. Didn't he come on the he show did. years before? ago? He yeah. did. But one of his birds that he's really passionate about uh, is the American bluebird. Okay, um, and we all love bluebirds. I mean, who, who doesn't? Yeah. yeah. So t- to get bluebirds, you typically put a bluebird house, you know, in your backyard landscape somewhere. Well, last year, with it, it was so cold. And a lot of these bluebirds, they don't migrate. They stay here, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Memphis, wherever they are. They, you know, they usually have a, you know, place to live. Now, last year, it was so cold that uh, he was telling me that a lot of the bluebirds died, died, actually, because of the cold temperatures. A lot of them even died in the houses they were huddled in. So reason I'm bringing this up is typically, you know, you want to clean your bluebird house out every year. And they'll, you know, start from scratch. They'll put the stuff in there that they want to put in there. Well, I'm not going to clean mine out, especially now. I'm going to wait till early spring, uh, maybe in February, before I clean mine out because I want to have that nesting material in the house Mm -hmm. for the bluebirds to get in there and huddle together and stay warm in case we have another winter like we did last year. You know, it was below freezing for over a week. Remember that? Even during the day when the sun was out, it was still below freezing. And not only was it the cold temperatures, you know, a lot of the water was frozen up out there, so they had a hard time finding water. And then, of course, forget about trying to find food. It's just not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to not clean mine out, even though I know you're supposed to clean them out. I'm going to wait till February to do it uh, just to give them a little extra warmth, if you will, in that house. So what could I do? Say, for instance, I I cleaned the birdhouse, everything I'm supposed to do. But we see something like this going to happen. We know it can freeze the birds. Can I go put something over the birdhouse? I mean, am I just just let nature do its thing? Yeah, I, I mean, you can add a heat lamp or something like that to it. Yeah. Um, put some pine needles in there, Veda. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, salt bedding. Yeah. It. It. I mean, it's not going to generate any heat, but it does help them huddle together mm-hmm. and retain their heat. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Keeps protection. them off the walls of the house where the you know they'll the heat's being mm. lost. Jim, you showed me a picture of some bluebirds, like four or five. Of there were them six, of them. Yeah. six yeah. of them, side by side, side by side. You know, they're 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 their Fluffy, feathers are ruffled yeah. out. They're trying to hold that warmth in there. And you had a bluebird house mm-hmm. also, so you've always had a brood or two every year. But you're saying even some of those didn't make it last one. Yeah, uh, and, and this was in um, February of twenty one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it got, it was down around zero for several nights and, but, and I had plenty of food. I had water for them. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just flat froze. Um, so that's horrible. 
Well, but that well, helps though to have some water well, out there and to have your mealy. What do you do? You, you do like the mealworms meal and the worms suet and so or, forth. or Spanish fly larvae. Yeah. Yeah. What about? Um, is there supposed to be a certain hole size for the birds, yeah, like for a two birds. inch, yeah. or for the house? The bird house has to have a two inch hole. I forget the diameter of the hole, but you're right. I mean, if you go online, they've got diagrams Mm -hmm. of bluebird houses. You know, it helps keep the other birds out. It helps keep the the varmints out of there. You don't need a a perch for them to perch on. I mean, they just cling to the the face of the house and get in there. Because, like, I'm saying that because... You can buy birdhouses everywhere, anyway, kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's a good thing to check to see if they're actually functional, functionable over beauty. Yeah, a lot of yeah. times they're pretty, but they don't function. I, I'm, in the last couple of weeks, I've been inundated with an ad that has these beautiful little uh, hand painted wood hummingbird houses. I mean, they're beautiful. Yeah. But the fact is, they ain't going in right. there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't nest in houses ever. Right. Yeah, there's not one. You know, it's like butterfly houses. Yeah, butterfly ain't going in there. It even go like a bad house. If he went in there, the spider would eat him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so on your bird houses, if you're trying to attract certain types of birds, no. About the birds. Right. What you know, really wrens mean. have even smaller holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, do, do a little research if you're doing it. But you can buy bluebird houses at any garden oh, center sure. pretty yeah. much. Uh, and the thing is, Make you your can, own. typically most homes, you can only have one because they need to be a good distance apart. In fact, I have a friend up in Kentucky who puts his out at 200 yards apart uh, and tries to get them where they can't see each other because mm-hmm. they will uh, they'll fight each other. Huh. So. Well, like um, our the bluebird houses that we're selling, they have thick walls on them, actually, mm-hmm. and they um, help insulate. Yeah, and uh, it's just a real a good size for where there's not so much open air space either. Yeah. It's a good size for them to fit in, but the walls are really thick, and it has a copper roof too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I've got yeah. like I said one in my backyard. In fact, David recommended me to put one. In fact, he followed me home one afternoon and put it up mm-hmm. there for me. Because they wanted me to have bluebirds, and I've had them for the last 10, 12 years. In fact, I usually get a couple broods from this house every year, and I just love having the things around. But I want to still do anything and everything I can to help protect them, you know, depending on what kind of winter we have again, because I know what happened last year with them. Our birds are eating us out of house and home at the garden center, constantly, constantly feeding, filling up the feeders and all. But I let it go... Sometimes a couple of days or so without the feed. Mm-hmm. So they'll maybe go look around for some other insects. <laughs> I don't know if that is even a thing. Like some people say, don't feed your birds because then they won't eat the uh, bad insects. No. I don't know. It seems like Horse they would. Feather. Yeah, yep. it seems like they would go to their preference. Well, remember that would always first. say also, you know, go empty your hummingbird feeders before it gets cold because yeah. you're going to keep the hummingbirds here too long and they're going to freeze on the way back to the migratory mm-hmm. resting place. Ain't going to happen. No, in fact, nope. we had a picture posted this uh, on one of the hummingbird groups uh, up in Middle Tennessee, northern part of Middle Tennessee, on the 25th yesterday. They filmed uh, a hummingbird. So, yeah. And so they're they're hanging around. Yeah. We'll have some that'll actually winter here. Yeah, but we don't give them enough credit. These these critters out there, they, they know what to do, regardless of what we want to do. Keeping mm-hmm. some food, food out there is not going to keep them here too long, I promise you. 
That, yeah, that's one of those old myths. Man, man, we're learning so much stuff as time progresses. I'm still enjoying the um, etymology site. Yeah. <laughs> of seeing really cool insects. I mean, what kind of what kind of microscope? I mean, how are they? How it's just amazing how they look. Did you ever look up the turtle teeth? I did not. No. You got to look that up. It's scary, creepy. The turtle teeth. Is it's not what? like you smile and see the turtle teeth, <laughs> but it's kind of looks like jaws in their mouth. Oh, of a it's, turtle. Of a turtle. It's scary. It looks like shredders. It looks like if you went through its mouth, you would be shredded to pieces. Well, if you magnetize anything enough, it's yeah. going to look scary, okay? Yeah, just... absolutely. So <laughs> now, now would that we be know. magnify or magnetize? Oh, <laughs> it magnified. is magnified. <laughs> I think magnetism could make some pretty weird looks, too, wouldn't it? Uh, Y'all just hang on That's why it's so attractive. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us this morning. Do like Dwight and give us a call at 260-5926. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It just all of a sudden didn't seem right. And good morning, Dwight. You're in the garden. Good morning. Hey, Dwight. Hey, my son wanted me to ask you all something. I think I know the answer, <laughs> too. But anyway, he, he he does have a guacamole tree or bush, whatever. He takes it in takes it out. Mm-hmm. And then he threw some lemon seeds in a pot and they're growing and he wanted to know if if it would grow trees absolutely yeah yeah i mean but the thing is dwight just like the other plant uh, i mean it will not make it through our winters you know typically you grow them in a container you bring them inside in the winter time and take them back out in the spring in fact we sell tons of citrus really every spring uh for people to Mm -hmm. to grow but the main thing is, is you got to bring them inside before it gets cold because they won't tolerate that cold weather. Would it produce? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, okay. it may not resemble the lemon <clears throat> that it came from, okay? Okay. Because you don't know what might have been the pollinator. Um, but it's, but yes, it's going to. Now, most citrus is grafted onto a dwarf rootstock so that it just doesn't get too big right. for you to handle. This may okay. actually grow to be a huge tree, so yeah. you may have to do some serious pruning to keep it in in a container. Okay. Uh, but yeah, give it full sun, lots of water, lots of fertilizer, and uh, I would say by year three or so, you should be able to produ- produce some lemons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that also gave me the opportunity to sing the little lemon tree. <laughs> Song. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but I, won't, I won't sing it on the air. <laughs> I got you, buddy. But no, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, you can definitely if it's if it germinated, uh, you know, just treat it like you would any other tropical that you have to bring inside, and you'll be you'll be fine, Dwight. Thank you, bye. All right, buddy. Thanks, uh, Dwight. Years ago, I visited with Tom Dodd mm-hmm. um, when at Tom Dodd Nursery in Sims, Alabama. He never ate an apple or anything that he didn't plant the seed from. Really? Just to see what he would get. Mm. And one of his prized possessions in his personal greenhouse was a citrus Mm. that came up from seed. The limbs grew exactly perpendicular to the plant. Wow. 
and there was not foliage. It looked like you had taken a feather and just ripped it apart Mm -hmm. and just it was it was such an unusual looking plant. I mean, so it, it was foliage, but not the foliage that we would didn't look like yeah, foliage. Gotcha. Like I said, it just looked yeah. like a feather that you that had torn apart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it and it was really really cool. And I tried several times to get a cutting off of it, but he wouldn't let me. Have yeah, it. and Jim, that was just because <laughs> that was a seed that he had yeah. planted at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, and you're not really sure what's going to become of the seed that you plant well, because you, you don't know what the Right. Mother or, this was a mutation of some type that yeah. happened, you know, uh, and it was in a in a locked cage. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess nothing it. did come of it, though. Yep, I've never seen anything. And he had a, l- a number of really unusual plants. He had a uh, he called it a baby doll magnolia. It was a southern magnolia, but the leaf was only about two inches long. Wow. Uh, it was really unusual, and he, and he had several of them in twenty five gallon containers. These were huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he said my grandchildren would probably see them on the market. Yeah, well, uh, I guarantee you they well, will. Well, it's yeah. getting time then, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I know a lot, of, a lot of people like that Meyer lemon, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that has that big lemon. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people just, and then there are other lemons, of course. And there are I asked you this last week. Let's see if you're paying attention. Uh-oh. Is it a lemon? What, the Is Meyer? Meyer lemon? Mm. No. Very good. <laughs> Explain why, Jim. It's more closely related to an orange. But we're going to call it a Meyer lemon, though. If you'd like. Yes. Because it does look like an orange, doesn't it? Yeah. To me, it looks like an yeah, orange. It's, it's more round than typical lemons. Shape, All right, yeah. Now, what about what do we need to watch out for? We bring our citrus trees inside. Okay, mm-hmm. We know they're very uh, suspect to spider mites, for example. Right. So, you know, other than keeping the citrus trees warm, keeping them moist, I mean, yeah. not wet, but moist, Giving them decent light. Uh, are we yeah. also spraying those with a neem oil or some kind of oil spray to potentially combat potential spider mites? I would say be checking it out, you know, and if you start seeing issues, go ahead and spray. So keep your eyes peeled yeah. for spider mites more right. than anything else after you bring these mm-hmm. things inside. Yeah, I would have yeah, tried to spray it before I ever brought it in. Of course. Yeah. You know, because obviously you can get a better spray outside because you're not worried about where it all goes. Yeah. Uh, and then move it in. But and watch it keep, it, keep it moist, not wet. Uh, when they tend, you tend to have spider mite infestations to, on dry plants. I agree. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you don't let it get dry. Yeah. Right. And then there's citrus tone that you can use. There's uh, mere acid that mm-hmm. you can use. I mean, Wind there's some. Yeah, there's. Snow. Well, exactly. So yeah. a, a little fertilizer during the growing season uh, it's a good thing also. You know, um, on fruit trees and all, talking about climate change. And so fruit trees need a certain amount of chilling hours. So it's got to be. Say for like a peach tree, different varieties, maybe it's got to be, give me an example of a well, chilling hour. Well, you know, in the deep south, you want something that's got you know, four to three to 400, 500 chilling hours, okay? Um, if you planted that tree here, it would bloom too early and you'd never get a crop. Mm-hmm. Here, you want something that's got 800 or so or more. We typically have around 1,200 hours of chilling. Um, but you want to be careful because if you see some of these that say like Flora King, yeah. well, that ain't the one you should be planting <laughs> in Tennessee. Uh, you know, so uh, just you, you should know. And we have, that's a, and I'm glad you brought that up, we have that information on our fruit trees about <clears throat> how many um, chilling hours they need and it t- so you know which ones are the best right. to use in this area. Yeah, because what's happening is now that 
the climate changing and some of the areas are warmer that uh, peach trees were grown in, their chilling hours are off. And there's actually one man that moved his peach tree orchard to South Carolina. Mm. And they were like, there's no way you can grow peaches here. But the way the climate's changed, he's like ahead of the game with a lot of other peach tree growers because he moved his whole orchard to another state well, because of the chilling hours. Well, because mm-hmm. think about it, like Jim was just saying, if it says flora something on there, it's probably <laughs> going to grow great in Florida, maybe right. not so much here, because a lot of these trees, they'll be in full bloom, and then we'll get one of those hard frosts right on top of yeah. them. Well, the blooms are gone. And if the blooms don't pollinate, then you're not going to get any fruit. Now, that can happen on even the best of fruit trees that are out there. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But at the very least, you want to take a look at what Jim was talking about in the uh, on the uh, fruit trees. Yeah, because that'll make a lot more hours. sense. Right. If you, because if you look and try to study on the chilling hours, there's so many options. But Jim's got it down for this area. And also, it's important to know that some of these fruit trees need a pollinator. Uh, there are a lot of them out there that are self-pollinating. That doesn't mean they all are. So you need to know if you need more than one tree out there also to get a decent yield. Because if you don't have the pollinator out there, you're not going to get anything. Yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of people like Arkansas black apples. Well, it happens to be sterile. Uh, So it's not a pollinator for anything. So you have to have really three apple trees to get a good crop. On that particular one. On that particular one, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and then when I'm talking about climate change, I mean, the climate change all ever since the Earth's been here, the climate changes all the time. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that... yeah. We're in trouble here. I'm just saying that because of the way everything's changing a little bit, we just relocate our crops and things like that. So I'm not talking about we're, de- we're killing yeah, the Yeah, the way I see it, the climate changes every day, okay? <laughs> it does. Well, we, we've been coming out of, since we came out of the last ice age, we've been warming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. there was a time probably when, when the, the dinosaurs went extinct, a huge part of the, the world was ice, mm-hmm. okay, suddenly melted. Yeah, which raises the water, yeah. uh, you know, and if it continues, it's going to, you know, the water's going to rise and just means I won't have to drive as far to the coast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I mean, obviously the climate changes because we find discoveries in the ocean or, or on the shorelines of where cities and things like that were, or when the ice is melting in certain areas, we're finding fossils and things like that. So obviously it wasn't frozen at the time, you know, but... That's just how it goes. So we just learn to garden around it and pick our plants differently and mm-hmm. keep on going. Yep. Well, when we get back from the break, guys, I want to just bring up the the thought of robo-mowers. It's just, <laughs> I, I'll have to get y'all's input, and, I, I, uh-huh. and I'll give you mine what I think about it, Veda. But... Maybe, I, I don't know. I'm just going to hold my tongue for the moment. Oh, yeah. So but, we can go to a break, and then we're going to figure but, but this the, out. But these robo-mowers, these are mowers, mm-hmm. you know, that you just sit out in the backyard and... Watch it robo. Yep. So I'll have to get your opinion, Jim, your opinion on what y'all think about these things. Mm-hmm. There go your wife's petunias. <laughs> That's a good opinion there. Sounds like you're sleeping on the couch, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm have to Do you have you. to have the remote? Okay, let's go to a break. And uh, we'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. 
The oh, robo mower. Okay, the robo mower. And what got me thinking about this, my neighbor behind me has got one in his backyard. Okay? And every now and then through the, you know, the slats of the wind, of the fence, I could just see this little thing just kind of moving back and forth, and it just never stops. And I'm thinking, you know, do I, what do I think about it? Because at first I thought, well, you know, I kind of take, I mean, I, I have a sense of accomplishment, if, I guess, when I cut my own grass. Mm-hmm. And I really... It, don't even mind cutting my own grass yeah. okay it's just a it's just a moment that you can just kind of do that not think about anything and and you do feel good after it's done but then y'all the flip side of the coin i was thinking well man you know so i peeked over the fence and the grass looks great in his backyard i'm telling you so i'm thinking okay if i let's say if i did get one of these robo mowers it doesn't mean that i'm lazy right. okay it just means that now i've created a little more time to do something right, else right. So that's the logic of a lazy person. No, it is. <laughs> hey, but you know, do Bill something. Gates once said once said that he wanted to get the lazy person to do the big jobs because he'll find the quickest way to get it done. Well, okay? that's a good point. So that, think I like about that. that, that okay? That's a good thought. So it doesn't mean that you're lazy. And and I when I looked them up, there you know I saw the prices on them, and the price range I saw was say anywhere from five hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. Hmm. Well, man, if you go out there and buy just a push lawnmower these days, you go spend three or four hundred dollars, right. right? So, it's not like it's not doable as far as mm-hmm. the cost is involved. And it was working in your neighbor's yard. And, and then I got to thinking, okay, well, Jim or Veda, is that really good for your grass? Because it's being constantly cut, so it's it's constantly having to regrow. So, but then I'm thinking, well, it's constantly growing anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you have a healthy lawn, the pH is up where it needs to be. You're feeding your lawn like every six weeks during the growing season like we do anyway. Then I thought, well, the golf courses, you know, they're cutting those greens almost every day, if not every day. They look great. So is there anything, is there a detrimental reason why I shouldn't even think about a robo-mower? Well, I think what Jim said well, the, the, the petunias. Main, yeah, the, you know, I guess it's smart enough to understand. Well, flower beds. What I've heard is you, you, it comes with this perimeter wire that you, ah, that like you put the dogs. Under, it's a barrier wire that you, yeah, like, you underground. Gotcha. Oh, underground. You, okay. Yeah, and the lawnmower, when it senses it, it turns around, zip, it goes another way. But it's constantly cutting your grass. Yeah. Um, it would need to do it real frequently. Otherwise, it's going to get too tall with Bermuda grass. Oh, it does. I mean, it, 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 I guess it goes 24-7. <laughs> and it, so it's constantly, your backyard is always going to look mm-hmm. beautiful, you know. And it mulches the grass. You know, it doesn't bag the grass at all. So you don't have to worry about that. So you're getting I mean, fertilizer. Right. So it, and it's GPS. And then, you know, if somebody tried to pick the thing up, I read where they just, they go off. You can't start them again unless you have an electronic key. So if you steal one, it's not going to do you any good, you know. So I'm thinking I may be the first one to brag to y'all that I've got a robo mower in my backyard, you know, Uh, for all those reasons. I I was sitting there trying to think of reasons not to get one. Here's my big negative on it. i got to bury all those lines. Well, I haven't read enough about that, Veda. Mm-hmm. I, I might be, you might be able to just tack it up against the fence. I mean, I just yeah. don't know enough about it yet. But I know that you can keep it out of areas, like Jim said, the petunias. Yeah. <laughs> the swimming pool. The swimming pool. Ooh, you, yeah. can, you can keep it out of areas where you don't want it to well, I guess go. if you put edging around your beds and rocks and things like that, then they just bump up against it and move on. And I wouldn't have to bury a wire. 
Well, but I, but my point is, I know that there are ways that you can keep it just in the lawn, and mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it because that's the only place I want it is in the lawn, not up in yeah. your beds or anything else. And I like the idea that it's constantly uh-huh. cutting your grass. You never have to cut your backyard again. I don't mind cutting my front and side yards because they're pretty darn small, yeah. right? So I'll still get that a sense of accomplishment, if you well, will. It does help if you have limited energy and you have to mow your yard, but then you wouldn't have the energy left to work in your beds. So if you've got limited energy, right. then that's mowing for you, and then you can do what you really enjoy. And that's my point, you know, just a time factor. But also I was reading where even a lot of these people that go around and cut people's yards, invariably, mm-hmm. eventually, it might be where they rent these things out to their customers. Yeah. You know, and they're and, and the machine is doing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's... Uh, it seems to me that in, in these things, the first one was, was was around in, like, say, 1969, 1970. Y'all, that's 50 years ago. So how come, Jim, it hasn't been this big revolution or Veda as far as robo-mowers? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, and now, like all the other electronic stuff, it gets better every year. We know and, that. And cheaper. And cheaper. That's exactly yeah. right. And that might have had a lot to do with it. So... I don't know. I'm just. I, I'm just. It, it. I'm still thinking about why would I not save my money and get one of these things for my backyard. Is my point. Well, Gina, you now know what he wants for Christmas. Yeah, no, I don't want it for. I'm thinking. I got to still do some research, <laughs> y'all, and do some soul searching. But yeah. I'm thinking that maybe it might come to well, it. Well, it, it could because it doesn't mean you have to spend your whole life doing that. But so because some people do enjoy, and I enjoyed mowing. The yard. When I have time. Mm-hmm. Right, when you have time. So I think it sounds pretty good. Who's the one that told me about the the rumba that had escaped the house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I'm sure it was on Facebook, had a poster up on a telephone pole where they had left the door open in their room, but it escaped. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted. <laughs> I can see that me leaving the garage, the gate open in the yard and my robo more escaped. In you know? the next neighbor's yard cutting down their prize hostage. <laughs> exactly. That's not going to work. And also, uh, lawn, uh, lawn equipment maintenance. You know, mm-hmm. Betty, you've always said, Jim, you have to, you know, put a little bit of, uh, just wipe a little oil on your your tools this time of year before you put them up. You don't want rust, you know, on your tools. Uh, even your lawnmower. A lot of people say, they used to say, drain the gas out of mm-hmm. your lawnmower. Well, some of these things that I read said, what? Not really, because if you drain all the gas out of the lawnmower, invariably you're going to leave some in the carburetor. It's just going to happen, okay? Especially things that have a gas oil mix. And then air is going to get to it. It's going to get gummy. It's going to clog up the little needles in the carburetor. So what they're saying really is put a little fuel stabilizer in there. And that's just the best way to go when you have anything that runs on gasoline. Well, see, so that goes where we're taking some old technology knowledge. And then we keep sharing it every year instead of realizing the way the equipment's changed Mm -hmm. and all. We don't have to do that. Yeah. And, of course, it's always a good idea to change the oil on your riding lawnmower, even your push mower (laughs) from time to time. Maybe even change the air filter. Lawnmowers have oil? Yes. That's my point, (laughs) baby. And sharpen the blade. Sharpen the blade and put a little stabilizer in there and just keep your stuff, you know, at the best condition that you possibly can. But Jim said, if nothing else, get out there and sharpen the blade. So many times we see people with the lawnmower is 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, it still gets around okay. Yeah. It's got a blow, I mean, a blade on there that hardly can cut butter. I know, yeah. And it's chewing your grass. It's not cutting it. It's chewing it. <laughs> and you always want a good, fresh, clean cut on grass. Is you'll have a healthier lawn if you just keep the blade sharp. So those are some things that we can think about doing 
in preparation for next year? Well, in this area, I don't think I've ever had to put up a garden tool for a couple of months in a row. You know, because they say clean all your tools and oil them and mm-hmm. all that. And so they overwinter really well until you use them next spring. Yeah. I'm using them all season, all year. So yours are in constant use. Yeah, constant use. Well, I mean, even a lawnmower could be because you could mulch leaves with it. Yeah, and that's what I've been doing with mine. But yeah. even at the very least, I mean, get the dirt off of mm-hmm. them. I mean, just get everything prepped well, and ready to go to for the next year. Yeah. I mean, our tools are, you know, they make life easier for us. Right. That's why we use tools, okay? So especially if you've got some good tools or a good lawnmower or a good weed eater, just do those few simple things where they'll be up and going, ready to go next spring right. when you need it. Yeah, good tools. Good, good tools definitely make your job easier. And say, for instance, when I keep talking about this because I've been so impressed, there's a garden knife and then there's the hoary hoary garden knife. The hoary hoary garden knife is absolutely much better than just going to the hardware store and getting a... Um, or going to How the kitchen and getting a steak knife. Right, right. Steak knife definitely doesn't work. Right. Tried it, tried it. But there's the garden knife, yeah, and the hoary hoary knife. The garden knife's fine, but the hoary hoary knife absolutely has so many more attributes, and it's much sharper. It really works better. And I remember, Jim, when you used to do bonsais a lot. Bonsai? And you would have a bonsai, bonsai, bonsai. Yeah, those. But you would, uh, and you had the tools mm-hmm. for it. Still have them. You still have them. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so do you keep those things sharp or they're pristine? Mm-hmm. Let's see. There you go. They, and that's they're all point. in a pouch. Mm-hmm. You have like the pouch. Yep. And, yeah. There's mm-hmm. so much I'll fun bring in the garden. Week, okay. Like yeah. 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 We need to see. Bragging. That's right. Garden ain't love. bragging if you can dig. <laughs> so there. So there. We will definitely see y'all next weekend in the garden. Oh.